Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chaluminati Podcast, episode 181. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by the Dennis Rodman and Jean-Claude Van Damme of L.A., Alex and Jesse. Yo. I just, okay. That's a good one. Definitely right? know who both of these guys are. Yeah, yeah. They were in a movie together. Did you know that? No. Yeah. What movie? Well, double team. Okay. It is a movie. It's not a good it one. Was, it was pre, it's pre-Universal Soldier Dom, like Von, Van Damme. Did you just Google the word team? Is no, that what it is? no, no, no. Team, he definitely has a list provide... of like team ups. It's 100%. Because these somebody's going to nowhere. You, you, you believe what you want. I'm not going to confirm or deny. Uh, TV tropes, duos. That's my TV guess. tropes, duos. No, I might, unlikely duos. Unlike, unlikely duos. All right. So obviously, obviously I'm the Van Damme in this group. That's not even. I'm definitely Dennis. If one of us is Dennis Rodman, it's me. Let's just be real. <laughs> Which one of you is more likely to go to North Korea for peace talks? Me. Uh, Alex. Yeah. I'm that guy that everybody talks to in the bars. Oh my God. Look at that cover. Can you, uh, in chat? It's not a good movie. It's not a good movie. Producer Dean sending a picture of like the cover of that movie and it looks awful. <laughs> my favorite part is oh, it's Van Damme, Rodman, Rourke. Rourke. In middle, <laughs> they don't play by the rules. Double, Double team. team. Oh my God. Is that a robot in the middle? I can't even tell, dude. I don't know what that is. Yeah. The font is unreal. Yeah, this is rough. This is a rough one. Was it? It's got to be, be like early 90s. It's not a Rodman. good movie. It's not good. No. But I can't here's imagine the thing. it is. Not that I would know, but I can't imagine it. I is. need to ask the question. If the three of us were in the movie Demolition Man. Yeah. Can you explain the plot to me of Demolition Man? Because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. First off, this is the next thing we have to watch when you come into town. Because this is one of my <laughs> favorite movies to ever. LA, or we All get right. back together. Okay. Imagine a movie. Where in 19, mm -hmm. I think it's 1999, I think 1999 it's, LA, yeah. uh, LA is on fire and it's all because of Wesley Snipes <laughs> being an evil bad guy and well, they send in, <laughs> they send in Sylvester Stallone, uh, as he says, send a maniac to catch a maniac. Yeah. They send okay, him in all right. to stop him. And the result is accidentally a bunch of kids get killed. And so <laughs> what's the movie? Sylvester what's the movie? What? What's the video game called? I'm sorry. Where they put Terry Crews in it. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Crackdown where the cops are like crazy. Yes. Crackdown three. Crackdown three. Yes, 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 yes. Stallone yes. is a guy from Crackdown three in real life. The reason that yes. he is called the demolition man is the reason that he killed all those kids. It's because... Yes, he does not care. He's yeah. like superhero, but in real life... It's like all about... He doesn't give a fuck if he like fuck shit up. Is he like dirty Harry? No, 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 no. Like, that's just... My dude, that's the first five minutes. Literally, he, he like... He, he manages to stop uh, Wesley Snipes, but he kills a bunch of people on accident. And he and Wesley Snipes are both put in the new form of prison, which is cold storage. And they serve their sentence okay, for frozen like in a little hockey yeah. puck of ice <laughs> for, you know, 50 yeah, like years. 50 years it doesn't matter. And so Sylvester Sloan wakes up in the future. There's so many problems West with that method, by the way. There's a lot of issues with that. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, well, as he says in the movie. Be, how would they learn any lessons? It would be very instantaneous. Well, for no, them. they what put it in their brain. Oh, dude, they put it in their brain. Oh, I, okay. They like. One of the things they learn is to how to sew, like that kind of thing. <laughs> There's also Except, Sandra Bullock in the movie who's like a modern day. Bleh, yes. Well, <laughs> Wesley Snipes breaks out. Turns out Wesley Snipes, while he was in cryo, he was taught how to do like future tech stuff. And Sylvester Sloan was taught how to knit. And so when Wesley Snipes gets out, he's a stone cold super killer in a future where Mathis. 
everything is peaceful in LA. It's perfect. Wow. It's run by like this utopian Just government. Like now. Except, except there's no fast food anymore because Taco Bell won the fast food wars. And there's only Taco Bell's, That's it. but they're like the only restaurant that exists is like there's a fancy Taco Bell and Taco Bell's like in pill form now. And when you go to the bathroom, you use three she- seashells and sort of toilet paper. It's like how video games are today. Yeah. Well, the whole thing's insane. And then you just throw this crazy psycho killer and then the crazy guy who wants to catch him into this world and they demolition it basically. And it's a wild movie. Sandra Bullock plays a woman from the future who is like obsessed with the nineties for some reason. She's like a nerd. Yeah. She's like, she's like, wow, you guys are from the nineties. That's so cool. That's like, that's like people now. Yeah. Yeah. And and, (laughs) well, that's because it takes, I think it takes place now, to be honest. (laughs) I think the future, that future is now I'm pretty sure, but yeah, I think we're there. It is a bonkers movie. And so I offer this to y'all listening right now. I'm not going to let these two answer in on Reddit. I need to know. Which one of us is the Demolition Man? Which one of us is Evil Wesley Snipes? And which one of us is Sandra Bullock? Great That's question. It. I need everyone to just say that. Great question. Let us know. You can't put your opinions out there right now because it'll, it'll someday, take their And someday Mathis so. will see this movie and have any context for what the fuck we're talking about. I never about. thought I'd see Hunt for Red October, but here we are. Yeah. Also, also, Mathis, you'll find this very funny. Uh, the movie has a group of underground people that are led Ooh, by Dennis. people? Dennis Leary, for some reason, these mole people that live underground and they eat rat burgers and stuff, but they're like, it's good because it's freedom, right? Like that kind of thing. Uh, it's like a fallout. One of the un- one of the underground people, 100% pre-famous Jack Black. Wow. Okay. I don't even remember It's that. wild, yeah. dude. It's crazy. I don't even remember that. And speaking of wow, movies, that's cool. <laughs> if you join us on patreon.com slash Pod, not only do you get access to our new show, Rotten Popcorn, way early, tons Ooh. of movies on there, all the hits, every good movie that Mathis hasn't seen, knocked out in a crowd-pleasing and satisfying yeah, order, baby. exactly the movies you'd expect, no surprises, no weird movies that <laughs> Mathis finds on Amazon that he forces us to watch, no movies that I've accidentally bought on Amazon that I never really want to watch and will never watch again, nothing like that, all hits, check it out now on patreon.com slash Pod and... Today, after this show, I am going to go into the mini-sode, which you get after every episode when you're on Patreon. And I'm going to talk about the 10 best UFO movies of all time, according to Letterboxd. And we're going to see how many of them Mathis has seen. And we're going to yell about, uh, at him about the ones that, we, that he hasn't. Probably none of them, honestly. That's, a, that's very coincidentally. Did you already know you were doing this, that article when yeah, you came in? Yeah, that's all okay. just metaphysics, man. That's crazy. Honestly, the past two minisodes have been just like regular episodes, like 30 minutes each. They're not even tiny. They're just like regular. Sometimes you just boys. sometimes you just get more with Chiluminati. And it's that's what's true. so great about Patreon.com slash Chiluminati pod, a website which you can visit and get stuff on for yourself and others. We call it like the Chiluminati guarantee. And you have yeah. a nice spicy name. Throw it Chiluminati, out there. Patreon.com slash Chiluminati pod. Guaranteed. That's it. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. I, I could think of no better chill i'm so glad that that has become part integral part of the show uh maybe an episode like 900 will it won't be there anymore but why did you send me a document in my email with a bunch of markers written all over it don't ask questions that i can't get to yet boys 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 we're not going back to true crime yet i'm not uh you know i want a little bit more of a breather you know Dahmer is a heavy topic uh and there's a few things that well i have a a huge list of topics i'd like to cover and this one has kind of been sitting on the list for a very very long time it's one of the ones that people have wanted episodes about and one that we've talked about in other episodes as a kind of a tangential uh, reference. Today, though, we're not going to be doing tangential references to mystical things. Today, we're finally tackling the topic 
of Eisenhower meeting with aliens and forming the contract <laughs> that would allow the Greys to take us from Earth. Now, Jesse, I know you and I were both looking forward to this. That was, hold on, that was a roller coaster. That, he was like, today. <laughs> Me and Jesse, we were both waiting for this. Today, one. we're talking about Eisenhower. Pause. I was like, Eisenhower talking to aliens. Pause. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Setting up the contract. I'm like, the roller coaster you took me on was wild there. I can't tell you, I can't say anything other than I'm a talented man, you know? So <laughs> I know that sentence by itself about Eisenhower and the aliens taken at face value without context is crazy. Yes. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And in fact, now that sounds good to my ears. And in fact, Eisenhower very likely did not meet with aliens on that night. But the path to that theory. The path to that conspiracy is riddled with muddled truths, cover-ups, and interesting characters that, when all brought together, create theories like this. When Eisenhower does leave his vacation on Air Force One for a singular night in the middle of the night, only to return the next day. This did happen, and Eisenhower was believed by many in that night to go meet with aliens. At first, it was the Nordics. And they made an offer that Eisenhower denied, which we'll talk about later. And then he would meet with the Greys after that, where there was an agreement between the two of them and an, uh, some form of contract was made. Are you sure he didn't just rendezvous with Wendy's? Like the restaurant? Yeah, like you don't think he just popped out middle of the night, pick up a Frosty and flew a off an Air Force One just to go with Trump. Maybe I would have said, well, they don't have those in Washington, D.C. I don't think you know what I mean? I think you got to go a little bit further for. Well, he wasn't in Washington, D.C. He was on a golfing like a vacation, even he more was off in Palm Springs. He was in Palm Springs okay. uh, is where he was at. So he left Palm Springs in the middle of the night in 1954. Well, uh, again, we'll talk about that in more detail. But that one night, that one weird flight and without true paperwork to actually uh, show where he was is a hotbed for conspiracies to fill in their great greatest uh, fantasies or what they wish was happening behind what the scenes. What was the year again? 1954. Uh, but 54. I will, 54. Okay. But we're not going to start there because to get to that point, you need to know about the Majestic 12. You need to know about the twinning memo. You need to know about who J. Allen Hynek and Stanton Friedman are. And that is where we're going to begin. We're going to begin with Stanton Friedman. Now, that name may sound familiar to you boys because he is a is uh, an author. You listen to Coast to Coast. AM. Well, yeah, he was a guest on Coast, uh, Coast to Coast all yeah, the time, uh, but all the time. They bring that man on. Well, constantly. He's dead now. So, he's, <laughs> well, they brought him on. Look, I listen to old episodes. I don't, that new stuff is a little too alt-righty for sure. me. But it's and if right. the Majestic 12 and Stanton Friedman all sound familiar, that's because way back in the episode 80s, I think. We were doing for the uh, Roswell, the Roswell crash, and that required some references to Friedman and the Majestic 12. But I said in those episodes, I was like in the 80s, I thought you meant like in the 1980s. I was like, no. Yeah, no, I'm with you now. Yeah. Oh, the, the numbered episodes. Of, I didn't finish my thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I didn't finish I was my like, thought. Oh, completely shit. There. Oh, yeah. God, no. Roswell was episode 60, 59 and 60. So that was a long time ago. That was over two years ago. We've done Roswell. And so. Since then, I've promised to do the Majestic 12, to do Eisenhower, and that's what we're going to do. But first, we'll start very simply. Stanton Friedman, who he is, why he's important to this entire thing, and how uh, valuable his opinion may or may not be. Uh, to be to, just to give you the bare basics and to remind you uh, of who Friedman was, he was uh, employed for 14 years as a nuclear physicist for companies as General Electric, 
Aerojet General Nucleonics, General Motors, Westinghouse, TRW Systems, and uh, McDonnell Douglas. Where he Nucleonics worked. literally sound like fake comic book shit. <laughs> yeah, no, he he worked in all those places. He worked at, for multiple years uh, from Aero for Aerojet General Nucleonics. He worked from 1959 to 1963. Uh, TRW from 1969 to 1970. And he uh, ended at McDonnell Douglas, where he worked on advanced classified programs on nuclear aircraft, fission and fusion rockets and compact nuclear power plants for space applications. So that's he is a, a very intelligent individual and is a has a brain at the very least for physics. It's mm. amazing. Yeah, it's a uh, that's crazy. Um, it's like that, a genius. Lived, it's like Lex Luthor stuff. That's like crazy. It, yeah. it really is. Yeah, uh, he uh, he he actually only died in 2019. He was 84 when he finally passed. Uh, he was doing interviews as early as like 2017, 2016. Still, he was doing interviews pretty recently. Wow. Uh, but when the 80s came around. He changed direction a little bit and he consulted for the radon detection industry. Friedman's professional affiliations included the American Nuclear Society, the American Physical Society and the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics and AFTRA. So he was also, you know, working in a more uh, a bigger capacity with nuclear uh, physics and so on. Were you going to Jesse, you look like you were about to say something. No, I just I, I I wanted to make sure that AFTRA was the same AFTRA as in SAG AFTRA, the American and Federation of Television and Radio. That's Artists. what it, no, that's correct. what it is. Yeah, correct. Yeah, However, it is. it is important to note that for AFTRA, uh, there's not a lot of evidence that he worked there. However, I don't see why he would lie about working at AFTRA if he worked at all those other places. It's not as like well. a sick flex for somebody with right. his resume to work there. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It just seemed to come out of like <laughs> the list of things you listed off that seemed to be like a little tacked on. I was like, really? Yeah, okay. it's kind of it's kind of like out of nowhere. I, I agree. I wanted to make sure it wasn't like you know the Aerospace Nambla. Federation. Yeah, yeah like there's <laughs> yes, yes, just like Nambla. <laughs> yes. So uh, after he was finished working in McDonnell Douglas, uh, where around 1970 he actually completely left full-time employment as a physicist to pursue the scientific investigation of, you guessed it, UFOs. Hey. So he jumped ship to go investigate on those. Since then, uh, in the time he's been doing it, in the many, 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 many years, he has given over 600 college uh, lectures, over 100 professional group lectures in 50 states, 10 provinces, and 19 countries outside the U.S. Additionally, he worked as a consultant on the topic, published more than 80 UFO-related papers, and appeared, as Jesse noted, on lots of radio and TV, um, coast-to-coast, like you said, he was on rather often. I wonder why. I wonder if that's why he had to j- join after, just like... Uh, I, yeah, that's, that's why my thought was, too, is like, maybe this is why, because he, he started going out more. Yeah, yeah. I, years ago, I was in a Nintendo commercial for 0.3 seconds. Like, <laughs> ba- I think I said, like, that's awesome. Like, that... And I received. Oh man, I gotta find this. I that's did not know exactly this. what Jack Black did too in a commercial. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I received so many messages about like you should join SAG. I thought you were gonna say you. I received so many paychecks off that one commercial. No, uh, <laughs> no, that didn't happen. But SAG reached out like you were in a commercial. You like that kind of thing where I feel like maybe because he was on TV shows or whatever, people were like you should join after it. Like I guess that makes sense. Like okay. Uh, Stanton Friedman, if you go look up a picture of him, he sounds like his name implies a huge nerd and he sounds like a nerd as well. His voice is great. I love the man. I love listening love to his interviews. Good nerd. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's awesome. I love the pic- his pictures out there. He always just looks like he's begrudgingly happy to be there. <laughs> he doesn't ever look particularly thrilled about anything he's doing. Sure. Like a, tr- a proper uh, scientist. 
Um, on top of all of those papers that he wrote, the, the TV and all the other uh, lectures he gave, he also was in front of Congress twice, and uh, um, rather in front of Congress once for a hearing and appeared twice at the United Nations. So this man was respected at the very least on some level for uh, his uh, genius mind. I would, I would, I would put this man as a very intelligent man, if not a genius, when it comes to just his specialty. Just look at his in fucking physics. resume; it's insane. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, however, Friedman did, like I said, go to UFOs, and he very much enjoyed uh, investigating what he would dirt to deem as flying saucers, and he very much preferred using the word flying saucers, and quoting saying, flying saucers are, by definition, unidentified flying objects, but very few unidentified flying objects are flying saucers. I am interested in the latter, not the former. To clarify what he meant by uh, UFOs. <laughs> oh, so, so he's saying kind of the Mathis aspect. When I sit here and I'm like, yeah, it's unidentified flying objects. It could be anything. I'm thinking it could be like a secret government test thing. And you're over here like aliens, bro. Well, that's what he's saying. He's <laughs> saying flying saw. He, he doesn't care about like the, the, yeah, the he's not. He's yeah. Yeah. He's more interested in like the things that cannot be described away or, or right. The, the stuff that appears to be aliens. He's approaching it from a very like uh, rational sort of angle. Like he's really unwilling to say things that he doesn't believe are true about the object. The thing is with Friedman, and I very much respect Friedman. He's like one of the two biggest names in the UFO world. Uh, he is, there's no doubt, he is a believer uh, for his own reasons. And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit. We'll never really do a Friedman episode, but he will come up in episodes quite often. I never like often. when an expert is an expert for their own reasons, like a believer in the yes. thing they're an expert on for their own reasons. Sure. But the, the man that I most, I most, uh, enjoy in this world is J. Allen Hynek, who worked on Project uh, he worked on Project Grudge. Uh, I forget what Project Grudge was called prior to that. And then eventually Project Blue Book. And he was hired specifically <laughs> uh, specifically to debunk. He did not believe in UFOs. He thought it was all easily explainable. And then after years of working, his opinion slowly changed. And by the end, he's like, no, no, you need. And we're going to talk about him in a minute. But like Fried, Friedman is less of somebody that needed to be convinced. He already kind of believed. So you need to know that about Friedman, where Hynek is somebody who didn't believe and then ended up believing afterward. Um, and they're, they're both important to the story. We'll get into uh, Alan Hynek here in a moment. Um, he dubbed himself Friedman. He dubbed himself the flying saucer physicist. That is what he liked to call himself for one reason or another. Um Really, his big jumping off point for Ros uh, for the UFOs was Roswell. One of the books we used as a resource for the Roswell episodes was written by uh, Friedman. He, he, he was the first civilian to investigate uh, the Roswell crash. This is he was the first one to ever try to do so. And he supported the hypothesis that the crash was aliens. He believed that the crash was aliens. He doesn't he doesn't think it was anything else. Um, and he, in 1968, he told the committee uh, of the U.S. House of Representatives that the evidence suggests that Earth is being visited by intelligently controlled extraterrestrial devices. So pause, yeah, pause, yeah, yeah, yeah. please. The evidence suggests what is the evidence? Exactly. Good question. The evidence is the sightings. There are um, there are again, <laughs> you it, can't say the evidence suggests and then not then be like, well, and this he, is the okay, evidence. so just to. Because we're not going into super deep, there are things that he were investigating. Some things did have um, weird physical evidence, like there was a UFO landing supposedly uh, that uh, happened outside somebody's house right in their backyard. And when he went to in inspect, there were three spots where the grass was weirdly burned, but everything else was fine. 
um, little weird things like that. Um, obviously, we don't have an alien skull or a piece of ship in our hand, and he doesn't have his, he never got his hands on that either. So we'll get into what he, I guess he means by evidence here in a minute. Um, if there was, were you about to say something else, Jesse? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you off. No, no, I was just, okay, cool. uh, you know, I was just reacting to you being like, yeah, I mean, there's evidence, but like, we don't have time to get into the evidence. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you what he told the, co the committee. I understand. I'm not saying that. I get now. it. You gotta, you gotta I'm saying that me. it's, you know. You're going to see in this episode, all of the alien episodes we've actually done are going to come into coalescence here. They're going to become one. And it's going to be, it's important because it's all part of the trail. Um, Friedman also, as we've talked about on the show, believed or stated that he believed that the US UFO sightings were consistent with magnetic uh, magneto God, I'm gonna, it's a scientific word. Mag Magnetohydrodynamic propulsion. Magnetohydrodynamic propulsion. That's some future tech sounding stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna give Whoa. you a very quick breakdown of what that is. <laughs> I, th I, have a, I have a picture of a magnet getting sprayed very hard with a jet of water. <laughs> That's what I'm imagining. Um, I have I a picture MHD. of- Magnetized ground, magnetized vehicle, and it hovering over the magnet ground, being pushed <laughs> and, and by water, water, water squirting it along. <laughs> well, I love that. Uh, yeah. The uh, MHD is the study of magnetic properties and behavior of electrical co uh, conducting fluids. Examples of such uh, magneto fluids include plasma, liquid metals, salt water, and electrolytes. The word magnet magnetohydrodynamics is derived from magneto, meaning evil X-Men villain, right. hydro meaning water and dynamics meaning movement. The field of MHD was uh, initially uh, created by Hanus Ufven. I don't I don't know much about that particular person because he's not important to this, uh, but he re he received the Nobel Pre Peace Prize in physics in 1970. So, you know, he's uh, he's good at what he did. Um, basically, the uh, there's so many equations I, I can't bother. I'm going to give you a screenshot of these fucking equations so you can see why we can't explain very well what the fuck this is oh boy i mean I <laughs> yeah all right yeah, yeah, my yeah. Brain so, already turned off this is like listening to an audiobook in that's how it felt for me too i was like oh so just <laughs> for, for the record when you say it can't be explained you're talking about like i, mean, it can't, us, I can't explain it explain, to you yeah okay yeah, i, was gonna say I like, literally cannot explain this yeah, i literally I cannot yeah. like break down the equations and what it fucking means other than it has to do with like the resistance and force being able to move via magnetic field as opposed to an engine or like a, a yeah, combustion engine, uh, more or less. And here, like the planet, you know, has this apparently and a bunch of other shit. It's all physics that I never got because I didn't get I didn't do physics in high school. OK, I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know. Here's here's what I'll say. If people are curious. You can look it up. But the the thing that we're looking at currently is kind of cut off a little bit. So some, you know, like when you're doing an equation. Some of the variables we can't identify because literally it's cut off, right? Mm -hmm. There's things on here like what does J or B equal like those kinds of things. If you're a math nerd, you'll figure this out easy. It's it's for us. Yeah, it's literally an impossibility. to figure. I mean, out. I have no idea how complicated it is or not, to be honest with you. It looks like yeah, it makes me want to go to sleep immediately, but I don't know. You know, my ass for my elbows. I, I don't know shit from anything. Just so you know, my resource for this is obviously wiki because I'm not going to get a physics book and try and teach look, myself it's, magneto, look, it's just dynamo, math hydro. with letters. That's all I need to know. Yes, exactly. When you hit that point in school where math started to become letters and not numbers and you were like, what? <laughs> that's this. All right. So that's that's yeah. all I need to know. Yeah, there's just it. Basically, it's just about the resistance and be, you know, pushing off one another and, and kind of moving in that way. But I, I mentioned that's important because that's still a very prominent theory to how some if if UFOs are physical 
visitors from another planet, which Friedman believed, that's where he kind of lied. He believed they were nuts and bolts, like, which is like the term they use in the UFO world, like physical UFOs. Sure. And this was the way they're moving, which is why they can turn on a dime. They can move underwater and come out of the water as easy as it is as, uh, for them to be flying through the air. Why they're able to make such hair point turns and move at supersonic speeds without leaving uh, uh, contrails. This is this would be his posited theory as to maybe the technology, if they're they're physically here, that they're using. And it makes right. sense. It's kind of like if they're physical, that's I believe, you know, some some sort of magnetic gravitation movement is the only thing that seems to make sense. But also, what the fuck do I know? You know, I am not, again, a scientist in any particular way. I think it's very important to be very, very cavalier about saying that we don't know shit about fuck. Yes, right. I need people to know <laughs> the only one who has any degree to do anything is Jesse. And it's to interpret dreams. Yeah, not at all true. He is a professional. He went dream to school for it. He's accredited. No. Of all the things I went to school for, that is certainly not it. He says, why won't anybody ever say that I'm certified in this way? Although I did go, I was in a lot of theater classes at one point, so I'm pretty sure that's roughly the same thing. Shouts to language of, of, of theater and shit like that. As a, the language of theater. Like that 101 theater class, shout outs to that. <laughs> yeah, where they make you like, you taste a lemon, act it yeah. out. Like Walk around, no, be a be a box. Yeah, you are a tree. What tree are you? And what is the wind? It's like shut up. I don't. This is stupid. Yeah, yeah. It's vibes. To continue with Friedman, um, and from 1970 to about nine. Well, not about, but till 1996, he very much heavily just worked in the UFO field and and kind of devoted his life to trying to figure out what these things are and if aliens. What are they using for technology? Why are they here? Why are all sightings? have so, so much similarity and yet so many differences um, until 1996 roll around. And in 1996, that's when he began researching the paper I'd present to you boys, the Majestic 12 documents. Here we go, baby. Which Whoa! Friedman said that there was no substantive grounds for dismissing their authenticity. Now, I will we'll talk about whether that's something worth believing and why, but just know that that was his particular stance on it. Uh, and then in the early 2000s, he started showing up on Coast to Coast, as Jesse said, uh, starting in 04 was his first appearance in Coast to Coast and kind of had a, a, a pretty long lineage of history going on Coast to Coast uh, rather often. Um, it's there uh, that he was also uh, on, on these things. He also debated Seth Shostak, who was the uh, the senior SETI Institute astronomer. Uh, if you don't know, remember what SETI is, it's the people looking for aliens. It's the the. The yeah, researchers the looking thing. for aliens yeah. that you um, can like install on your own computer and shit. Yeah. And while Shostak was a good debate, it's important to know that he also believed in the existence of intelligent life other than humans. But unlike Friedman, he did not believe that they were visiting Earth or were related to the UFO sightings. And that was kind of the crux of their debate. You can go listen to it. It's it's still out there for you to listen to. Um, I would love to hear on what grounds. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Friedman also hypothesized that UFOs may originate from relatively sun nearby sun-like stars. I think if we're getting visited by aliens, I think I would agree with that. The further away, the less likely I feel like they could. But then again, we are in the boonies of space. So the further away, the more, the longer they've had a chance to live. So maybe, maybe it would make sense if they came from deeper into space. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to start debating myself about this if I don't continue on. Um, but he did use a piece of evidence to cite this. And this is something we didn't talk about too, too much. Uh, I think we did. We kind of briefly mentioned it. But if you remember the Betty and Barney Hill story in one of Betty's uh, hypnosis sessions, 
she made a drawing. The drawing that she said was the star map that the alien, remember she got like, she had a nice talk with the aliens. They showed her a star map. She brought them into a room. She got filled in like that weird jelly for a while. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, the reason he points to this is because that map was then shown to astronomer Marjorie Fish, who constructed a three-dimensional map of a nearby of nearby sun-like stars and claimed a good match would be from the perspective of Zeta Reticuli, about 39 light years away from us. Um, and you can you can uh, see the map out there if you just look it up. I can I can also get it for you. Uh, let me link you to it. Um, but the map itself is uh, the one that she used. So that's the map that she like basically drew and she mapped to the Zeta Reticuli system. Um, and while there is plenty of reason to be very weary of hypnosis and its legitimacy and how useful it is, how easy it is to implant fake memories for those who are easily hypnotized. It's it's what Friedman would would use for for that particular. Uh, that's one of the pieces of evidence he liked to use. Um, and and he believed that there was a statistical validity of the match. That was his belief. Is like this feels like it's right. Mm. But he also it's also important to know Friedman and Seti hated each other. Friedman particularly did not like Seti. At all, the search for extraterrestrial uh, intelligence. Uh, Friedman contested the implicit premise of SETI that there has been no extraterrestrial visitation of the planet because it was his claim that SETI was only seeking signals, not extraterrestrial intelligence or beings. Now, uh, what does that mean? I don't know, uh, but we'll continue. He maintained. They're like, they're like, SETI doesn't believe in aliens. What they're doing is necessarily Yeah, he, well, let's, let's, continuing on, um, he maintained that the prominence and widespread public claims of those involved with SETI have tended to present serious research, uh, prevent serious research, sorry, including research by journalists of, uh, for UFOs. He's basically saying they're the only one, since they're considered legitimate, everyone else that tries to do any research gets laughed out of the room. Because, you know, UFOs are not taken seriously. And he thinks SETI is part of the reason of that. Um, Friedman just also was a classmate of Carl Sagan at the University of Chicago. And he also often criticized Sagan, uh, a proponent of, who was a proponent of SETI, for ignoring empirical evidence such as, quote, 600 plus unknowns from the Project Blue Book special report. The Project Blue Book had over 12,000 sightings. Over 600 of them were left unable to be explained. That's like what was left. Um, Friedman argued that these empirical data directly contradict Sagan's claim in other worlds that the, quote, reliable cases of uninteresting and the interesting cases are unreliable. Specifically, Friedman referred to a table in Project Blue Book special report number 14 that he said, quote, shows that better uh, shows that the better the quality of the sighting the more likely it was to be, quote, unknown and less likely it was to be listed as containing, quote, insufficient information. So what he's saying is Project Blue Book did this thing where it was either explained uh, or it was just simply titled insufficient information. So there was never like a confirmation. It was always. And so when they point to the book, of course, there's no empirical anything because it was either listed as useless or useless. You know, it was there was no. No good way to. He believed it was like the wrong way to be labeling it's things. Yeah, it's very biased. Yeah, sure. uh, and as we talk to when we get to J. Allen Hynek, we'll see how very biased uh, we'll say uh, they ended up being. Mm. Um, beyond that, just some more of his more public opinions to to kind of like wrap him up for now. 
Uh, is Friedman said of the responses to his talks when people kind of like laughed him out or like outside and like reported poorly on him, quote, I know that most people are unfamiliar with the several large scale scientific studies because I ask after I show a slide and ask about each one, how many here have read this? Typically, it's only one or two percent. He continued to give an interview to Canadian journalist St. John in New Brunswick and caused the attitudes of the journalist himself to change because, quote, Attendees had had no idea there was so much solid information as opposed to the tabloid nonsense they thought was the primary source of UFO data. And he's mm. just saying the shit that gets out there is the shit that is viral, gets picked up, and everything that might be legitimate gets thrown in the trash now. And it's, a, it's, it's frustrating for him. I mean, that's, that sounds accurate. If I, if I was in this yeah, space, absolutely. it seems like, even from the outside in, all the, you know, that's everything, though. All the, like, absolutely. really loud potentially cuckoo bananas people are the ones who get the most press. Mm -hmm. They're funnier, you know? They're just more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, moreover, Stanton Friedman eventually in 88, kind of rewinding, got his hands on something known as the twinning memo, which is very important and a big piece of evidence UFO enthusiasts like myself like to use that things have been going on since the 50s that people don't really talk about. Just a shout out to all the Final Fantasy 14 players who right now when he said the twinning memo, you have a song playing in your head, and I just want to let you know I have it too. It's there. It's <laughs> I don't. Yeah. All right. Hey, you're welcome. I guess the music in NF14 is great. So you won't. None of you will know it. None of you. But to my Final Fantasy 14 fans, <laughs> all of us were like bobbing our heads along to an invisible song. I'm thinking of and 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 twin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we're not gonna talk about the twinning memo yet. We're gonna go now over to Jay Allen Hynek, the last of the two that I want to really lay a foundation as to who this man was. And why he is also so important to the world of ufology and aliens and all that good stuff. Do you boys, did we talk about J. Allen Hynek at all or much in the past? I couldn't tell you for sure. I had Jesse so knows, much I don't know if Jesse about, knows. I'm, yeah, sorry. There's just so many, like, I don't know if it was you who brought it up or not. To okay, gotcha. You. But you guys know who yes, he yes, is yes, at yes, the very yes, least. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I won't go, like, mega deep. I'll just give some highlights for the audience in case they may not know who he is. Who knows? This might be people's first episode. Um, but... Uh, J. Allen Hynek uh, began his career in World War II as a civilian scientist at the John Hops, Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory, where he helped to develop the United States Navy's radio proximity fuse. So he's working with the military pretty much out the gate. After the war, Hynek returned to the Department of Physics and Astronomy at Ohio State, rising to, the full, to full professor in 1950. In 1953, Hynek submitted a report on the fluctuations in the brightness and color of starlight and daylight with an emphasis on daytime observations. And in 1956, he left to join Professor Fred Whipple, the Harvard astronomer at the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory, which had combined the uh, Harvard Observatory at Harvard. And uh, Hynek had the assignment of directing the tracking of an American space satellite, a project for the International Geophysical Year in 1956 and thereafter. So we got to like about to track satellites in the 50s. I wonder I wonder what that was like. It couldn't have been easy. Sure. <laughs> it must have been infuriatingly difficult. I feel like there was like a guy like holding his head like, I see it moving through the sky. <laughs> um, in addition to over 200 teams of amateur scientists around the world that were part of Appar uh, Operation Moonwatch, uh, which was uh, basically the science program of tracking the satellites and so on, um, there were also 12 photographic Baker Nun stations. A special camera was devised for the task and a prototype was built and tested and then stripped apart again when on October 4th, 1957, the Soviet Union launched its first satellite, Sputnik 1. Um, after completing all of his work in the satellite program, he went back to 
teaching, taking the position of professor and chairman of the astronomy department at Northwestern University in 1960. So again, the man has credentials. He's another very intelligent man in the same kind of uh, scientific field, uh, but a little bit less gung ho. Like I, I would like uh, I would say Friedman was like way more passionate about just like he hopped companies and was really working. Sure. This guy seemed like he really enjoyed teaching and kind of looking at the, the facts of a matter. Um, for Heineck, though, he ended up being pulled in by the government to be part of multiple different projects watching and studying UFOs in the United States. Uh, in response to numerous reports of flying saucers, the United States Air Force first established Project Sign in 1948 to examine sightings of unidentified flying objects. Heineck was brought in and contracted to act as a scientific consultant to Project Sign. He studied UFO reports and decided whether the phenomena described therein suggested known astronomical objects. He was a debunker. When Project Sign hired Heineck, he was very skeptical of UFO reports. Heineck suspected that they were made uh, by unreliable witnesses or by persons who had misidentified man-made or natural objects. In 1948, uh, Heineck is quoted as saying, quote, the whole subject seems utterly ridiculous and he painted it as a fad that would pass soon. So he really thought though that the you oh <laughs> little did he so know yeah it was right after the Roswell crash uh that you know he was like this is just it's going to be a fad it'll be here and it'll be gone like anything else sure it's like my parents talking about pokemon uh <laughs> yeah yes <laughs> yes uh in his 1977 book Heineck said that he enjoyed his role as a debunker for the Air Force but he also said that debunking was what the Air Force expected of him mm. um in April of 1953, Heineck wrote a report for the Journal of the Optical Society of America titled Unusual Aerial Phenomena. In my, my and I think that might be the first use of UAP. Before UAP got reused now, Heineck was calling them that back in the in 53. So he was call, he wasn't calling them. Do you feel like that's to remove the stigma? Well, I think the government definitely did. You mean you mean for him? Like, was he like, he's, do you think he's saying it so that he doesn't have to be thrown in with the UFO? Yeah. Guys? Oh, definitely. Yeah. 1953, especially because he w did not believe UFOs were real. He thought this was just a bunch of fucking shit in 1953. Um, but this continued uh, contained one of his best uh, known statements. Uh, Ridicule is not part of the scientific method and people should not be taught that it is. The steady flow of reports often made in concert by reliable observers raises questions of scientific obligation and responsibility. Is there any residue that is worthy of scientific attention? Or if there isn't, does not an obligation exist to say to the public, not in words of open ridicule, but seriously to keep face to keep faith with the trust the public places in sciences and scientists? He's saying, stop laughing at this shit. If people are seeing this yeah. shit, take it seriously. And if it's happening for years and there's tons and tons and tons of people coming forward, Stop ridiculing it. You're not doing anybody any favors. And then anybody who tries to research it just gets laughed at. And he makes a point. I mean, this podcast, you know, like it's very easy to laugh right. at crazy shit. And uh, yeah, a lot of it is fucking crazy. And that's why it's so funny. But, he, he, you know, we are like that because for decades, this has been the attitude. The government has taken UFOs even when they themselves had secret UFO programs. Yep. Like, that's what's crazy. Uh, so in 1953, Heineck was an associate member of the Robertson panel which concluded that there was nothing anomalous about UFOs and that a public relations campaign should be undertaken to debunk the subject and reduce public interest. So if you're wondering why UFOs have always been shit on, because that was the decision of a panel made in 1953. 
Heineck would later lament that the Robertson panel had helped make UFOs a disreputable field of study. Uh, as a UFO reports continued to be made, some of the testimonies, especially by military pilots and police officers, were deeply puzzling to Heineck. He once said, quote, as a scientist, I must be mindful of the lessons of the past. All too often, it has happened that matters of great value to science were overlooked because the new phenomenon did not fit the accepted scientific outlook of the time. And I agree with that, too, because how many things Galileo, you know, the world isn't round as flat, you know, even now, like sure. what do, because we don't understand it, we're so willing to make fun of it and ignore it. And that's what makes it so hard to take, you know, UFOs seriously as well. The problem is, if you take everything with that mindset, like there's no distinction between something that's groundbreaking and something that's just, you know, I can shoot snakes out of my nostrils. But is something only groundbreaking because we laughed at it for so long that now that we figured it out. It's like, not, oh, not everything, not everything. But sure. if I was like, there's a little baby inside the sun that like laughs at me when you're not looking and I'm eating my custard. Well, like, <laughs> let me just. OK, but to, to Heineck is saying things that have many witnesses and many people are coming forward. So we don't understand it. We have an obligation to research it. Not one dude saying there's a baby in the sun. We should research everything. If there's sure. enough of a reason to do so, we shouldn't be laughing at it. And uh, again, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sightings were happening. And all the while, the government was keeping it secret under their Project Blue Book and uh, publicly shitting on the idea of UFOs and saying we would never research that shit. Uh, in a 1985 interview, what Wutton asked what caused his change of opinion, Heineck reported, uh, responded rather, quote, two things, really. One was the completely negative, the completely negative and unyielding attitude of the Air Force. They wouldn't give UFOs the chance of existing, even if they were flying up and down the street in broad daylight. Everything had to have an explanation. I began to resent that, even though I basically felt the same way because I still thought they weren't going about it in the right way. You can't assume that everything is black no matter what. Secondly, the caliber of the witnesses began to trouble me. Quite a few instances were reported by military pilots, for example, and I knew them to be fairly well trained. So this is when I first began to think that, well, maybe there was something to all of this. Uh, so, he, like I said, over the years, his opinion began to change as he went deeper and deeper. Heineck remained with Project Sign after it became Project Grudge, and Project Grudge was then replaced with Project Blue Book in early 1952, and Heineck remained as a scientific consultant for them. Air Force Captain Edward J. Ruppelt, Blue Book's first director, held Heineck in high regard, saying, quote, Dr. Heineck was one of the most impressive scientists I met while working on the UFO project, and I met a good many. He didn't do two things. Uh, he didn't do two things that some of them did give you. Uh, sorry, give you the answer before he knew the question or immediately begin to expound on his accomplishments in the field of science. He was humble and he did the work first is really all he's saying, though. Heineck thought Ruppelt was a capable director who steered Project Blue Book in the right direction. Ruppelt he uh, headed Blue Book for only a few years. Heineck was, has also stated his opinion that after Ruppelt's departure, Project Blue Book was little more than a public relations ex exercise, further noting that little to no research was undertaken using the scientific method. He's saying that they, they weren't interested in answers. They just wanted to explain it away so they could stop stressing out about it more or I, less. I respect, I respect that. Yeah. Yeah. I respect, respect that. Respect which part? Just that mindset is like a good approach to the idea of doing yes. looking into it. Like, mm -hmm. That alone is like pretty trustworthy. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, again, this is kind of why I like Heineck so much, especially compared to Friedman. I love Friedman, but you, when somebody jumps into something already believing, you have to kind of keep that in mind. Uh, yeah, it's like a so, genuine, like if you, if I read something that 
said that like that i already believed going in it's yeah. like you're you're out like there's yeah, no exactly. like just in an academic form you're out right uh yeah so he, he left and now he was kind of like you know the the program was useless Heineck actually began occasionally disagreeing publicly with the conclusions of Blue Book. And by the early 1960s, after about a decade and a half of study, Clark writes, quote, Heineck's apparent turnaround on the UFO question was an open secret. Only after Blue Book was formally dissolved did Heineck speak more openly about his quote unquote turnaround. Heineck speculated that his personality was a factor in the Air Force keeping him on as a consultant for over two decades. And some other ufologists thought that Heineck was being disingenuous or even duplicitous in his turnaround. Physicist James E. McDonald, for example, wrote to Heineck in 1970, castigating him for what McDonald saw as his lapses and suggested that when evaluated by later generations, retired, retired Marine Corps Major Donald E. Kehoe would be regarded as a more objective, honest and scientific ufologist. And Kehoe was somebody that fucking hated UFOs and shit on them and never thought anything was like worth researching. In late right. Mar in March 1966 in Dexter, Michigan, two days of mass UFO sightings reported and received significant publicity. After studying the reports, Heineck offered a provisional hypothesis for some of the sightings. And this is where you're going to learn the origin of a very, very, very trotted out excuse and his thoughts on how people took this and ran. A few of about 100 witnesses, he said, had mistaken swamp gas for something more spectacular. At the press conference where he made his announcement, Heineck repeatedly and strenuously stated that swamp gas was a plausible explanation for only a portion of the Michigan UFO reports and certainly not for UFO reports in general. But much to his chagrin, Heineck's qualifications of his hypothesis were largely overlooked and the term swamp gas was repeated over and over and over and over in the UFO reports and became the meme it is now. It's just swamp it's like gas. zeitgeist. Yeah. yeah, it's in men and in black. Just, yeah. when, when that, where it even comes from, he it was not. He said, "Yes, yeah, some of them, absolutely, but not all of them." It's so weird to me that of all the things, swamp gas was the one they were like, "That's it. That's one yeah, we're going to keep using." Really weird. It's because it sounds. It's because it sounds. Nineteen sixty six as it well. Sounds like so I don't a know, fart. Like maybe that yeah. had anything to do with it. Just like their knowledge on science at the time. I don't know. Sure, but it's, it's like saying swamp gas is like the word version of going. Womp womp swamp gas. <laughs> right, but it, but imagine if someone did that to you, you would be infuriated with the fact of how disrespectful it was. And he was. I understand why people are like, I don't trust. I don't trust them when they talk because if you say swamp gas, that's yeah, that is a womp womp. That's offensive. Like it doesn't even take it seriously. Swamp gas. They it's been like this since like the 50s. Sure. They've always, always had this weird public PR of shitting and making fun of it while in the background putting money towards it. It's so weird. Uh, it, it, and again, yeah, like you said, no wonder people breed this mistrust mm -hmm. because they can't do anything honestly in front of right. us. Um, in his reply, dated October 7th, 1968, to a request for scientific recommendations regarding uh, Blue Book from Colonel Raymond Sleeper, commander of the USAF Foreign Technology Division. Heideck noted that Blue Book suffered from numerous procedural problems and a lack of resources, which rendered its efforts, quote, totally inadequate. Heideck also noted that one WAG had bestowed upon Blue Book the epithet of, quote, society for the explanation of the uninvestigated. That's just like the funny name they decided to give it. Hell yeah. Um, he went on later to uh, help found KUFOS, which is the Center for UFO Studies. Um, 
In November of 1978, Hynek presented a statement on UFOs before the uh, United Nations General Assembly's, Assembly's Special Political Committee on behalf of himself, Jacques Vallée, if we all remember him from the video movie that, uh, that Jesse made us watch. Whoa! And not Jesse, Alex. Alex made us watch. I thought it was Jesse for hey, some reason. It ruled. No, no, no. I've never been more touched. It did rule. It was too good is the problem. It was like. No, it was a movie ab about a man going through some stuff. And then they added aliens for some unknown reason. They! Maybe <laughs> yeah. it was the aliens that added aliens. You ever think about that? Maybe. The speech itself was actually prepared and approved by three separate, three separate authors before he was actually able to give the, uh, their, their speech. Uh, and their objective was to initiate a centralized United Nations authority on UFOs. Which, if it came to be, it's secret. Because I don't think there is one, at least not publicly. Um... The last bits of, of that I want to talk about Heineck is some of the quotes that he had and the way he feels about uh, his theories on what these things may be. And they do differ from what Friedman believes that they are. Uh, while he was at the MUFON annual symposium in 1973 held in good old Akron, Ohio, Heineck whoa, first expressed whoa, 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 his... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Akron? To, I'm sorry. Is I had to stop you. As an Ohio born and raised, you got to say yeah. Akron. Akron. Yeah. Akron, Ohio. Akron, Ohio. <laughs> this is where... I mean, he already believed at this point. Keep that in mind. Um, Heineck first expressed his doubts regarding that extraterrestrial hypothesis, which was once known as the interplanetary or inter intergalactic hypothesis. Sorry, what was that? Was it intergalactic? Planetary, planetary, yes, intergalactic. intergalactic. Was it planetary, planetary intergalactic? In a speech titled Don't The Embarrassment. You tell me too small. I'll take a <laughs> I'm going to take a sip of my coffee. No, 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 no. Is that coffee? It is. It's in a color changing cup. Oh, oh shit. Oh. Okay. It looked All like right. blood. Wow. It looked like you were drinking adrenochrome with the rest of the elites. Maybe I am drinking blood. Yeah. Oh, shit. Maybe I'm an alien. Maybe I'm a reptilian. Oh, and I just need whoa. that delicious <laughs> human blood. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, in the speech, it was, the embarrassment of riches is where he first publicly put out his doubts on. Uh, extraterrestrials being the reason they're here. He was aware that the number of UFO sightings was much higher than was reflected in the Project Blue Book statistics. Quote, a few good sightings a year over the world would bolster the extraterrestrial hypothesis, but many thousands every year from remote regions of space? And to what purpose? To scare us by stopping cars and disturbing animals and puzzling us with their seemingly pointless antics? So he's like, again, you can hear, I can hear the frustration in his like writing and like the speech is just like, he's annoyed that these aliens aren't doing anything useful, like that he can take in like research. They're just being weird. Yeah. Um, in a paper presented to the joint symposium of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics in Los Angeles in 1975, he wrote, quote, if you object, I ask you to explain quantitatively, not qualitatively, the reported phenomena of materialization and dematerialization of shape changes, of the noiseless hovering in the Earth's gravitational field, accelerations that, for an appreciable mass, require energy sources far beyond present capabilities, even theoretical capabilities, the well-known and often reported EM, uh, electromagnetic interference effect, the psychic effects on percipients, the, including purported telepathic communications. I love that too. It's like, do it. And don't just do it because you have qualities. Uh, you qualify to say no. Yeah. Show me. And they can't. Uh, in 1977, uh, in the first International UFO Congress in Chicago, Heineck presented his thoughts in his speech, what I really believe about UFOs. I do believe, he said, that the UFO phenomena as a whole is real, but I do not mean necessarily that it's just one thing. 
we must ask whether the diversity of observed UFOs all spring from the same basic source, as, as do weather phenomena, which all originate in the atmosphere, or whether they differ as a rain shower differs from a meteor shower, which in turn differs from a cosmic ray shower. I mean, who knows? Like, you're just like, I mean, I understand what he's saying, but I think the, the specifics are just whatever. Yeah. Sure. He goes, we must not ask simply which hypothesis can explain the most facts, but rather which hypothesis can explain the most puzzling ones. No, that's what that was kind of like what, how he f- believed on it uh, regarding hypothesis of like physical aliens and in, in a higher intelligence uh, or extra dimensional intelligence. Again, this is all in the 70s. He says, quote, there is sufficient evidence to defend both as evidence for the ETI hypothesis, which is the physical aliens, which stands for uh, extraterrestrial inte- intelligence. He mentions the cases involving radar as good as, as good evidence of something solid, as well as the cases of physical evidence. Then he turned to, de- to defending the EDI hypothesis. In addition to the ob- observations of materialization and dematerialization, he cited the poltergeist phenomenon experienced by some people after a close encounter, the photographs of UFOs, sometimes only in one frame and not seen by witnesses, the changing of form in front of witnesses, the puzzling question of telepathic communication, that in close encounters of the third kind, uh, he's the one that created the, the first, second, third, fourth kind list, by the way. Sure. Right. Uh, the creatures seem to be at home in Earth's gravity and atmosphere. The sudden stillness in the presence of the craft, levitation of cars or people, and the development by some of, physic, uh, of psychic abilities after an encounter. Do we have two aspects of one phenomenon or two different sets of phenomena? So he's, he's positing that ghosts, alien, everything, all of this shit, might, it might all be the same thing. It might all be the same weird unexplainable maybe something scientific maybe something otherworldly it's all potentially sprouting from one thing or it's or it's a, yeah. or it's a bunch of different different right. things all coalescing exactly it's a uh, it's fascinating and i i've you know this is I've, i bounce between these theories quite often i feel like that's more accurate for sure i think so too. it's so it's yeah. so poorly defined by the people that witness things like this most of the time that like you know the idea that we're immediately pointing to aliens for every single one is like kind of silly, like, or even like just the concept that there could be more than one type of alien alone yeah. mm-hmm. kind of complicates things. Right. Sure. Agreed. Um, he actually introduced one final and third hypothesis. He said, I hold it entirely possible that a technology exists, which encompasses both the physical and the psychic, the material and the mental. There are stars that are, you got to remember when he's saying psychic, he doesn't mean like levitation. He's talking about just sure. mental. Right. Sure. The material and the mental. There are stars that are millions of years older than the sun. There may be a civilization that is millions of years more advanced than man's. We have gone from Kitty Hawk to the moon in some 70 years, but it's possible that a million-year-old civilization may know something that we don't. I hypothesize an M&M technology encompassing the mental and material realms. The psychic realm, so mysterious to us today, may be an ordinary part of advanced technology. And I think that thought process, I think, eventually kind of morphs into... The idea of like, what is consciousness? What is or are the aliens physical or mental or dimensional? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Are they are they using are they using us as a as an anchor point? Are we is our brain just projecting something and like creating these things? You know, it could be anything um, in uh, in Heineck and Jacques Vallée's 1975 book, The Edge of Reality, which I have. And it is a fantastic book. Heineck published a stereoscopic photograph of a UFO he took during a flight. We've actually looked at that photo before. According to the book, the object stayed in sight long enough for Hynek to unpack his camera from his luggage and take two exposures. UFO researcher Robert Schieffer 
writes in the book Psychic Vibrations that Hynek seemed to have forgotten the photographs when he later told a reporter uh, for, for the Globe and Mail, and Mail that he had never seen a UFO. The article states that in all the years he had been looking upward, Hynek has never seen what I would uh, so dearly love to see. Oh, the subject has been so ridiculed that I would never report a UFO, even if I did see one, not without a witness. So he just didn't come forward because he's the only one that saw it and he didn't want to be fucking laughed at. So he just fucking kept it to himself. Honestly, that's some, that's that's some real shit right there. That's a tragedy. I, yeah, I, yeah, I think I would be in the same if I ever saw one. I mean, now that I'm on this podcast, I would different yeah brag sure. to you every damn like they came and talked to me matt this it was a me yeah. like i'd let you know but i can understand why most because of the ridicule mm-hmm. if that was say a government plan from the beginning to say it's swamp gas and it's so ridiculous that we don't even want to think about it like that kind of thing to make it mm-hmm. ridiculed where people would then be afraid to even say anything for then they would ruin themselves in the public eye yeah it has clearly worked because i i agree completely yeah. if i was like teacher jesse still I would not be out there like, I saw an alien, everybody. I would lose my damn job. Heineck uh, published the book Close Encounter. Uh, he, he, that's where the scale come from. Uh, he published the Close Encounter scale. Uh, he's the one, like I said earlier, he's the one that created it. Um, do we need me to go refresh over them? Because I can if you want. I know that we wa- I know that we went over this once on the show before. So first, uh, the, the, basically the way he measures it is the different types of uh, where the the encounter system comes from. So you have things like the encounters of the first kind, which are like uh, visual sightings of UFOs, seemingly like less than 500 feet away, that show an appreciable angular extension and considerable detail. So little light in the sky doesn't even count as it's not verifiable uh, in any way kind. as anything. It has right. to be some sort of weird thing like that that doesn't make sense. Uh, close encounter of the second kind is a UFO event in which a physical effect is alleged. This can be interference in the functioning of a vehicle or electronic device, animals reacting, a physiological effect such as a paralysis or heat and discomfort in the witness, or some physical trace like impressions on the ground, scorched or otherwise affected vegetation, or a chemical trace. So there's a lot to meet to even get to a second, a second uh, close encounter of a second kind. A lot has to happen even for that. Uh, and then there's close encounters of the third kind. UFO encounters in which an animated entity is present these include humanoids, robots, and humans who seem to be occupants or pilots of a UFO. So third kind is the up close. You can see somebody through the window shield. You would consider uh, Betty and Barney Hill to have been a third kind encounter even before they stepped on the ship when he saw them yep. in the window. Then it was encounter- considered a third kind. That's already, yeah, that's already more than most yeah, people exactly. can say anyway. Um, they, now, a fourth and fifth kind, some people accept it, some people don't. It was not part of his original scale. Uh, they were added later. Uh, and close encounter of the fourth kind is a UFO event in which the, a human is abducted by the UFO or its occupants. This type was, uh, again, this was not included in Hynek's original close encounter scale. Uh, and um, it was uh, Jacques Vallée actually argued in the Journal of Scientific Exploration that the fourth kind should refer to cases when witnesses experienced a transformation of their sense of reality. So he's more wibbly wobbly with what he thinks a fourth kind thing should be. The reality changes around you. Remember like the kids who went on, a, uh, we talked about it where they went on a UFO and he saw people like chopping meat and like doing weird nonsensical things on the UFO. Yeah. Like things that you wouldn't expect to all see happening in the same room. None of it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. He, he would consider that uh, as well. And then finally is the fifth kind, which is a close encounter uh, of a UFO event claiming direct communication between the humans and the aliens. So if an alien talks to you, with its mouth, with its brain, then you have had a close encounter of the fifth kind. What if 
So let's say the aliens, at the end of close encounters, of the third kind come down. Yeah. Door opens. They're like, we're going to trade you kids, but they say we're going to trade you those kids. Is that a fifth kind then? <laughs> yeah. Can we skip four and go to kids? five? Because you communicated via music. So you communicated. Well, that's what, but like at the so end, that'd be a fifth kind. That'd be fifth, fifth kind. kind music communication. So that trumps fourth kind. I feel well, like no, fourth because, kind. No, if you have a fifth kind, it's kind of understood that you're also having a fourth, third, second, and first encounter. Are you though? What if it's just talking to you? Like, hey, what's up? How are you doing? Oh, if you, you then you might want to go see a doctor. You might have schizophrenia. <laughs> you're not seeing anything, and you have a voice in your head. So what you're saying is you don't believe in aliens, Mathis? I would believe in aliens, but I need to see a fucker. If I start hearing voices in my head, I'm gonna go to a doctor. First, no, nah, if I see an alien and then I hear voices in Here's my head, it's an alien. I am so con- I I haven't heard voices in my head once. So if I hear voices in my head, I'm gonna let you know I'm gonna believe that's aliens 100. I'll be like, okay, that's fine. All right, yeah. I'll take it. At this point, I'm on faith alone. I'll be like, yes. Look, I know I'm not crazy. Speaking of speaking of the movie Close Encounter of the Third Cl- Kind, uh, Heineck was the was the consultant for Steven Spielberg on that. Yeah. He consulted Steven Spielberg. That's where the name comes from for the movie. And he made uh, a cameo at the end of the film. He is. Yeah, he absolutely is in the movie. Yes. Yeah, he has cred. He's legit. <laughs> yeah. He's not embarrassing to be seen with, basically. Exactly. So now that we know who both Stanton Friedman are and J. Allen Heineck are, why they are so important to the UFO world, which hopefully is much clearer to you boys now, we now have to start moving into the world of the muddy and questionable the dirty path that leads to crazy theories like einstein talking to nordics and that's where the majestic lies i'm kidding that's where the twinning memo comes from this is the first thing that they were able to get their hands on i believe it was friedman who got his hands on it in the early 80s if you don't know what the twinning memo is it is a memo that came out from the 50s from a particular general that everybody seemed to respect uh we are gonna dive into the full memo here uh, and what it actually is there it is, name. Yes, his name was Nathan. I have it as N uh, Twining. His name was Nathan Farragut Twining. That was the man who wrote the uh, the memo. Love a um, Farragut. He, uh, this was written again in the fifties, uh, nineteen fifty seven, I tr- I believe. And uh, let me read you out what the memo was that was kept uh, secret until a, a FOIA request decades later brought this all out. Brought this whole memo out. So this is a. Uh, uh, you want, I can link you the actual memo as well, so you can read it with me. I would love to see it, yes. Memo me. Memo me, please. I will memo you, boys. I'm reading this off of roswellfiles.com. The websites I had to use for this episode are crazy. Everything from literal government websites to websites that look like they were made on GeoCities. <laughs> like, it's, it's... Yeah, you should have seen the Bigfoot research. Yeah, yeah, dude, I can imagine. Uh, I, I can't wait to show you. I had to, I had to deep, deep dive into a website called exopolitics.org. Uh, all about, hey, did you guys know that in three days, the Enki return from space to Earth? What if they do? What day is that? In three days? That's uh, Saturday? Three days. Yeah, yeah. This was, uh, this was written today. So in three days. You think those guys can help fix the elevator in my apartment complex? Because I've been walking up seven flights of stairs for the last five days. And it's really starting to piss me off. They'll float your ass upstairs, bro. You think they can help me out? <laughs> It's been driving me crazy. I gotta get the cummies out of you first, Jesse, and then they'll take you. You know up what? There. If that if that gets me to my apartment without having to like <laughs> go up that many sto- stairs, I'm fine. Like it's fine. <laughs> the cummies. Seven flights, dude. I'll take I'll take a cummy yummy <laughs> for seven flights. Let me tell you, uh, seven fl- you do seven flights of stairs. That is no, not that. just like upstairs. It's up and then back and then up and then back. Counts mm-hmm. as one floor. Seven of those. 
It's ass. We had a power outage and some girl got stuck in there. And rather than wait for the fire department, her boyfriend broke the elevator open. So you are literally living the Big Bang Theory? It, the tape is taped up just like that. It's crazy. <laughs> ah, <yeah laughs> rather than. So they had people out to fix it. And uh, apparently the elevators were custom made. So there are no replacement parts. What? Why would you make that? So I have no idea how long it's going to take hilarious. to get it fixed. And I, I don't worry. Jules Verne made your elevator. Oh, I, the gym now, dude, you can just walk up and down the stairs every day. Dude, I, you know what? That's the only thing keeping me going is I'm like, it's good for me. I <laughs> should do this. It's fine. <laughs> so as I'm going up and my calves hurt and when I'm like on the fifth floor, my calves are aching and I'm like, it's fine. You mm-hmm. need this. Just keep going. And I every this every day, if I want to go outside, thank God I don't have a pet. Can you ma- nah, Let's much. get those aliens in there. I hope those aliens show up and help you with your elevator, dude. I hope that's <laughs> the part you need. <laughs> or they can install one of those Halo uh, jump pads at the bottom <laughs> of the shaft. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the twinning memo? This is a letter that was sent out from Air Material Command's AMC in response to a request from Brigadier General Shulgin. As a result of the opinions expressed by twinning, General Shulgin issued his now famous collection memorandum. We're not going to get into that. It's a whole worry about that another time. General twinning requested that investigations be conducted that might shed some light on the recent uh, rash of flying saucer sightings. In response to the Shugan collection memorandum, the Walker memo was sent to see what field offices could find. Some proponents view this letter as proof that the Air Force knows that extraterrestrial UFOs exist. The closest the letter comes to considering alien origin, though, is an opinion that he writes, which we'll get to. Um, however, the proponents tend to ignore or dismiss as an obvious lie dictated by the super secret Roswell conspiracy. The instruction that his commanders should consider, quote, the lack of physical evidence in the shape of crash recovered exhibits, which would undeniably prove the existence of these subjects. Basically, there's no physical evidence. He's basically just responding to the chatter, it seems like, based on what I'm this reading. Is, uh, yeah, you're, if you're reading through it already, uh, again, this was sent out in the 50s. This was like right after, uh, like, I think it was early 50s. It could have been late 40s. It was right after Roswell. Basically, there was a rash of UFO sightings three months before Roswell, then another one two months before Roswell, and then Roswell happened. And then this is why the memo came out, because it was just like, what is happening? Why are so many people seeing these things? And why are we getting reports of a crash? Um, as requested by ACAS-2, there is a presented there is presented below the considered opinion of this command concerning the so-called quote flying discs. This opinion is based on interrogation report data furnished by ACAS-2 in preliminary studies by personnel of T2 and Aircraft Laboratory Engineering Division T3. This opinion was arrived at in a conference between personnel from the Air Institute of Technology Intelligence T2 office chief of engineering division and the aircraft power plant and propeller laboratories of engineering division t3 it is the opinion that a the phenomena is something real and not vision visionary or fictitious b there are objects probably approximating the shape of a disc of such appreciable size as to appear to be as large as man-made aircraft c there is a possibility that some of the incidents may be caused by natural phenomena such as meteors d the reported operating characteristics such as extreme rates of climb, maneuverability, particularly in roll, and motion, which must be considered evasive when sighted or contacted by friendly aircraft and radar, lend belief to the possibility that some of the objects are controlled either manually, automatically, or remotely. E. The apparent common descriptions is as follows. Metallic or light reflecting surface. Absence of trail, except in a few instances where the object apparently was operating under high performance conditions. Circular or elliptical in shape, 
flat on bottom and domed on top. Several reports of well-kept formation flights varying from three to nine objects. Even back then, they were seeing fleets of lights in the sky, like, like we do now. Normally, yeah. no associated sound, except in three instances, a substantial rumbling roar was noted. Level flight speeds normally above 300 knots are estimated. It is possible within the present U.S. knowledge, provided extensive detailed development is undertaken, to construct a pilot aircraft which has the general approximate range of 7,000 miles at subsonic speeds. Any development in this country along the lines indicated would be extremely expensive, time-consuming, and at the considerable expense of current projects and therefore, if directed, should be set up independently of existing projects. Due to consideration, a uh, due consideration must be given the following. One, the possibility that these objects are of domestic origin, the product of some high security project not known to ACAS-2 or this command. Two, the lack of physical evidence in the shape of crash recovered exhibits, which would uh, undeniably prove the existence of these subjects. And three, the possibility that some foreign nation has a form of propulsion, possibly nuclear, which is outside of our domestic knowledge. It is recommended that Headquarters, Army Air Force issue a directive assigning a priority security class classification and code name for a detailed study of this matter to include the preparation of complete sets of all available and pertinent data, which will then be made available to the Army, Navy, Atomic Energies Commission, JRDB, the Air Force Scientific Advisory Group, NACA, and the RAND and, and NEPA projects for comments and recommendations with a preliminary report to be forwarded within 15 days of receipt of the data and a detailed report thereafter every 30 days as the investigation develops, a complete interchange of data should be affected. Finally, awaiting a specific directive, AMC will continue the investigation within its current resources in order to more closely define the nature of the phenomena. Detailed as uh, essential elements of information will be formulated immediately for transmittal through channels. So basically, he's just like, yo, 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 here's all the shit that I've been hearing about. We're going to actually do our sure. due diligence to look into this and come up with an answer. Here's the things that we think. Tell me how this is any different, Mathis, than the report that we just it is got. The, it, like, is a, maybe it is very a month evident. Or two ago. It is the same thing from yeah. fucking 1954 to right now. The only difference is there's people in there that are actually leaking videos, finally, like uh, government videos. Yes. Well, yeah, now we got cell phones. I will say, if you want to get deep dive on the Jesse side of things, um, the Skeptical Inquirer online, uh, skepticalinquirer.org, has a fantastic article about Twining, and the it's called General Nathan F. Twining and the Flying Disc Problem of 1947. And it's incredibly interesting because it does admit that he confirmed via letter that there's something and we don't know what it is, but then it goes like deep dives sure. into what could it have possibly been. And more importantly, what was the response of the government to this kind of thing? And I just want to like, I will say if you ever wanted to convince me that UFOs were not of this earth, this skeptical thing, even though it's for skeptics almost does it because um, the part where it says a secret U S flying saucer program um, it says that Twining wrote in the late 1940s, a rivalry between the U.S. Air Force and the Navy over appropriations and how they decided that all funding needed to go to the B-36 bomber 
because as they're dealing with World War II and then the Cold War. Because it's real? Like, there's, like, real threats? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're like, basically, we're going to put money into the bomber and we're going to start focusing on uh, atomic weaponry, uh, nuclear arms mm-hmm. and stuff. And we're not going to use deterrent things. But we're going to put all of our money into that. And so Twining wrote uh, up through 1960, tr- strategic deterrence was the real teeth in the policy of containment. Strategic deterrence until the advent of ballistic missiles meant only one thing. The U.S. Strategic Command bombers, tankers from air refueling and training crews. Basically, we need to have nukes and be ready to use nukes. And so everything we do is about nukes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it continues to go on to say, like. You know, we're talking about nuclear energy. We're talking about reliance on on weapons of that variety. We're talking about, you know, placing them around the world. We're doing all this stuff. If America had UFO tech at that time, surely our money would have gone into that instead of these things. Yeah, that's what I'm exactly correct. And I think that's and usually we sit here and I'm like, well, it could have been a secret program or this, this. But this is literally saying like we were making bombers. We were already working on shit. We were working on the things would protect us the best. And, you know, it very it became very clear, like spy planes, like U two mm-hmm. things like that. They weren't working all that well. Right. And so we our deterrence was our entire like we we're going to sit here with nukes and be like, play us. Let's go. Let's do this thing. You want to fight? And I think that says a lot about. I agree. And, 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 you know, then the, even the article has about like, a, Sover, a Soviet flying space program yeah. or like things like that. It's super interesting. And so I'll just put that out there as yeah. if you want to deep dive even more. You should. It's fast because I see this. And even though they're trying to be like, it's not even it's not even aliens. So, bro, if you were going to hit me with the government wants nothing to do with this because they got other shit to do to me, that says, oh, maybe it isn't a U.S. government mm-hmm. thing because they were, like you said, working on their own thing. Could just be a rich guy. <laughs> it really could. It really could. <laughs> It really could. It sucks, but it could. The last bit uh, you need to know about Twining is in when uh, in 1953, when Hoyt Vandenberg retired, Twining got appointed uh, by President Eisenhower to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So he was brought on later on by Eisenhower. And during his term as chairman, Twining oversaw the early stages of the space race and boost the space program due to the Soviet launch of an intercontinental ballistic missile on the 25th of August of 1957, and less than two months later, successfully launched Sputnik into orbit. Twining also supported President Eisenhower's new look policy that turns the military capability from conventional military capability into a modern military capability by pushing the research and development for science and technology, especially on the weapons program, which then, as Jesse was bringing up, leads directly into the him helping develop the ICBMs, Titan and Atlas missiles and all that stuff. Yeah, he was very much involved in all of the stuff you were just talking about. He was he was the chairman. He was like sat and had real power. But this is honestly uh, this this memo is the first seed that I think creates the the distrust because this comes out decades later and there's really not like it's it's like you said, it's vague but still pretty convincing because they clearly believe something's going on. But up to the point, by the time this came out, the U.S. government has or has been shitting on UFOs for decades at this point, and they were not going to pay it any attention. And it kind of just came and went. It didn't really make a splash. No one seems, you know, no one really ma- mattered all that much. Um, the next thing we're going to jump to is actually Project Blue Book. We're not going to dive into the specifics of Project Blue Book, just a small piece of it. Um, This is coming off of archives.gov. This is directly from the government. So I'm not, you know, making anything up in terms of like uh, how how, like what this all says. This is a well-established thing. Project Blue Book. This is not like 100 percent fringe. This is a real definite thing that happened in the 50s and 60s for sure. 
Yes, it is 100% real. And then then they when they closed it, they denied having another program. We learn later on that they had another program and then they closed that. We only learned after they closed it. Remember in the, like it was like the early 2010s, I think we learned about it. Yeah. And then they started another one, but it was more public the, the third time around, at least. Um, so I want you to keep that in mind when I read you the government's official like stance on all of this. Uh, so this is the undertitled uh, UFOs and Project Blue Book. On December 17th, 1969, the Secretary of the Air Force announced the termination of Project Blue Book, the Air Force program for the investigation of UFOs. From 1947 to 1969, a total of 12,618 sightings were reported to Project Blue Book. Of these, 701 remain, quote, unidentified. The project was headquartered at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, whose personnel no longer receive document or investigate UFO reports. The decision to discontinue UFO investigations was based on an evaluation of a report prepared by the University of Colorado entitled, quote, Scientific Study of Unidentified Flying Objects. A review of the University of Colorado's report uh, by the National Academy of Sciences, past UFO studies, and Air Force experience investigating UFOs during the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Now, keep in mind, as we have already learned, the Project Blue Book was underfunded and wasn't taken very seriously, and they're using this as their, their reasoning. It lasted for a pretty fucking long time, though, considering. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For being useless, it lasted a long ass time. Uh, almost 20 years. No, uh, over 20 years. Sorry. Uh, which is nuts. Um, as, a result, as a result of these investigations and studies and experience gained from inve investigating UFO reports since 1948, the conclusions of Project Blue Book are one. No UFO reported, investigated and evaluated by the Air Force has ever given any indication of threat to our national security. We already know that's a lie because it's all they fucking talk about now. It's all they talk about is these things are a threat to national security. Once they once UFOs became common knowledge, they pivoted and now they're threat. Well, it's just politicizable. It's like it's like you can just say it's scary. So you say, oh, maybe it's the Chinese. And then everybody wants to give you money for the military. All sure. Yeah. Two, there has been no evidence submitted, submitted to or discovered by the Air Force that sightings are categorized as, quote, unidentified represented uh, technological developments or principles beyond the range of present day scientific knowledge. That's also a lie. As the man who ran Blue Book said himself, like that we know that that's not true. And this is still up. This is like on their website now. Three, there has been no evidence indicating that sightings categorized as quote unidentified are extraterrestrial vehicles. I mean, that's that's fine. That's true. Well, there's like no physical evidence that we have. With the termination of Project Blue Book, the Air Force regulations establishing and controlling the program for investigating and analyzing UFOs were rescinded. Documentation regarding the former Blue Book investigation has been permanently transferred to the Military Reference Branch, National Archives, and Records Administration in Washington, D.C., and is available for public view, review and analysis. Since Project Blue Book was closed, nothing has happened to indicate that the Air Force ought to resume investigating UFOs. We know that that's not true because they came out in like 2010 and said we had another project. Like, why is it still on the government website? It's a lie. It could be. It could be totally different agencies. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. the government's huge, dude. That's true. Sure. You know. I guess maybe technically, maybe it wasn't like the Air Force is investigating them anymore. I, I have to look into the other one. There are a number, a number of universities and professional scientific organizations, such as the American Association for Advancement of Science, which have considered UFO phenomena during periodic meetings and seminars. In addition, a list of private organizations interested in aerial phenomena may be found in Gale's Encyclopedia of Associations, Edition 8. Such timely review of the situation by private groups ensures that sound evidence will not be overlooked by the scientific community. 
A person calling the base to report a UFO is you have advised to contact a private or professional organization, as mentioned above, or to contact local law enforcement agency if the caller feels his uh, or, or her public safety is endangered. Periodically, it is erroneously stated that the remains of extraterrestrial visitors are or have been stored at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. There are not now, nor have ever been, any extraterrestrial visitors or equipment on Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So that's just the government stance uh, of the of Project Blue Book from 1985. That was like what they put out. Um, and we all know that that was out. We now know that that was a lie. Um, in this, we learn of the Majestic 12. And here, we take yet another step into the world of muddy lies or fabrications if you truly believe that. Now, a reminder, Friedman believed that there was no reason to dismiss the documents of the Majestic 12, which I have sent you boys, so you can look at that. You can see there's written in handwriting bogus over everything if you scroll. Um, yep. that, is, uh, that was what they, they were doing uh, over there, just kind of like, no. It's really not that much info for how many pages it is, but it yeah, is, it it's is not. Yeah, it's really not much there. Um, basically, the gist of it is in 1988, uh, Friedman uh, was, I mean, 1996, rather, Friedman got his hands on the Majestic 12 papers and he began to research it very heavily. It was handed to him by an unnamed individual that he had to then like watch and, and like it's like a whole thing. It was like a secret handoff. The guy refused to give him his name. When he got when he started realizing what he looked at and it was like what he thought he realized he had like actual government papers, then he started diving deep. He really wanted to figure out what the hell this thing, these things were. Um, for those who don't know, Majestic 12, also known as MJ 12 for short, is an organization that appears in lots of ufology all over the place from conspiracy theories all the way to serious theories as to what's going on. The organization is claimed to be a code name of an alleged secret committee of scientists, military leaders, and government officials formed in 1947 by executive order by none other than President Harry S. Truman uh, to facilitate recovery and investigation of alien spacecraft. So that's where Truman was Truman known as like an alien guy. I don't really know much about Truman as a president. Truman? Not no, as far man. as I know. But Truman was pretty like. Look, I've been there. I've seen that. There's some watch out, y'all. Watch out for government stuff. Watch out for this and that. Like he was. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the this this the first time Majestic Twelve is known to pop up is '84. It was being passed around in like really niche UFO circles at the time as people were doing their research. And once it started spreading enough, that's when Friedman was able to get his hands on it and he started diving deep into it. Um, even the F, it was even sent to the FBI to be brought to be invest to looked at, which is obviously how we got it. Um, and the FBI obviously declared the documents to be totally bogus, and many uh, ufologists consider them to actually just be an elaborate hoax. Um, the Majestic 12 remains still, like, even if, if a lot of people believe it's a hoax, it's still, like, one of the biggest, like, theories that people just kind of hold onto. And I think a lot of that, too, is because Friedman wasn't willing to fully dismiss these things uh, as, as fake. Um, the way this all came about is on May 31st of 1987, it was widely reported that British ufologist Timothy Good claimed to be in possession of 1950s era UFO documents. The documents purported to reveal a secret committee of 12, supposedly authorized by United States President Truman in 1952, and explain how the crash of an alien spacecraft at Roswell in July of 47 had been concealed how the recovered alien technology could be exploited, and how the United States should engage with extraterrestrial life in the future. According to researchers, ufologist Jamie Shandira had, in 1984, received an envelope containing film, which when developed, 
showed images of eight pages of documents that appeared to be briefing papers describing Operation Majestic 12. That's what we're looking at right now. That's what that's how they got their hands on it. It was like on it was pictures of them. The concept of the Majestic 12 came out uh, during the period of the 80s when ufologists believed there had been a cover up of the Roswell incident, which we covered in great detail back in the early episodes and speculated that some secretive upper tier in the U.S. government was responsible. And you can see that that first leap, that assumption that there's somebody higher up running it is the first step people make, um, the first mistake people make when they start trying to, to like figure out the truth, they start filling it in with their own theories and it just kind of, it just catches fire without even doing research onto how legitimate these documents are. They're immediately like, oh, these look real. Um, and it can be, it can be, it can undo your entire argument. Even if you have a little bit of a, of a point to make, if you just go all in without doing the work, it's not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore. Mm. Shandira and his ufologist colleague, Stanton, Stanton Friedman and Bill Moore, say they later received a series of anonymous messages that led them to find what has been called the Cutler Twining Memo. So that's how they got their hands on the Twining Memo. In 1985, while searching declassified files in the National Archives, uh, purporting to be written by President Eisenhower's assistant Robert Cutler to General Nathan F. Twining and containing a reference to Majestic 12, the memo is widely held to be a forgery, likely planted as a hoax. Historian Robert Goldberg wrote that the ufologist came to believe the story, despite the documents being obviously planted to bolster the legitimacy of the briefing papers. Based on what, though? Like, how do we know that? Know what? Sorry. I, how do we know that it was planted? They believe it to be a hoax, that it's not fake. We're going to get into the details of why they don't think these are real. Don't worry. Okay. There's, there's actual physical reasons why there is doubt that these are actually real. But if they are a hoax, which I think they may be, I'm more, I'm more lean to the belief that they are hoaxes. They're very well done hoaxes. There was little mistakes that maybe gave it away, but it's still very well done. It looks real. And uh, yeah, um, claiming to be connected to the United States Air Force Office of Special Investigations, a man named Richard Dottie told filmmaker Linda Moulton Howe that the MJ-12 story was true and showed how unspecified documents purporting to prove the existence of small gray humanoid aliens originating from where else? The Zeta Reticuli star system. That uh, we were talking about Betty and Barney Hill and all that stuff. Dotty crazy. Yeah. Dotty reportedly promised to supply Howe with film footage of UFOs and an interview with an alien being, although no footage ever materialized. Soon, distrust and suspicion led to disagreements within the UFO ufology community, which is tales old as time. The UFO, people who you feel people hate other UFO people. They can't fucking work together. They're just a splintered group of angry, separated nerds. And that's why they can't fucking come together and figure this shit out. Uh, <laughs> Got him. Sorry. I mean, look, the, let's, 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 <laughs> I mean, what? A couple years ago, we learned that the, the head of MUFON at the time was a fucking like child diddler. So like you can't even try like trust that shit. Like Jesus Christ, man. Uh, so yeah, there was get your act yeah. together. And Moore was accused of taking part in an elaborate, ho elaborate hoax, while other ufologists and debunkers, such as Philip K. Glass, were accused of being disinformation agents. Glass's investigation of the MJ-12 documents found that Robert Cutler was actually out of the country on the date that he supposedly wrote the Cutler-Twining memo, and that the Truman signature was, quote, a pasted-on photocopy of a genuine signature, including accidental scratch marks from a memo that Truman wrote to Vannevar Bush on October 1st, 1947. So it's just obviously a hoax. It's not even a, a, a 
a question. I mean, basically. yeah, uh, basically, like we'll, we'll keep we'll go through the rest of this here and we'll we'll talk about it in a second. Class dismissed theories that the documents were part of a disinformation campaign as ridiculous, saying they contain numerous flaws that could never fool Soviet or Chinese intelligence. Other discrepancies noted by class included the use of a distinctive date format that matched one of uh, that that matched one used in Moore's personal letters and a conversation reported by Brad Sparks in which Moore confided that he was contemplating creating and releasing some hoax top secret documents in hopes that such bogus documents would encourage former military intelligence officials who knew about the government's alleged UFO cover up to break their oaths of secrecy. So he's like the worst kind of hoax, like the well-intentioned hoax, somebody who believes so much that they that this all this stuff exists, but nobody will talk about it. So Super he's trying to vibes. break the ice. Supervillain origin story. Yeah. Sort of, but he never really becomes a supervillain. He just starts creating a mess. If, well, if like Superman um, came and like punch him in the face when he did it, like, like yeah, I can uh, like as a kid, you know, like a little white lie to try and sell to my mom, I wasn't in trouble or something, like something to just like bolster others to come forward. Like I get it. The problem is that with science, so you immediately invalidate your entire reputation. This alone casts doubt on. Friedman on Stanton on even more so than it already is because now they have something to point to that looks like a legitimate document. Say even see e see even government documents can be faked. Nothing can be believed. Like it's all lies. Sure. Uh, later in 1960, uh, later in 1996, a document called the MJ-12 Step Special Operations Ma Manual circulated among uh, other ufologists which is also widely considered to be a fake and a continuation of the MJ-12 myth. We're not even going to bother looking at that as no bearing on the story we're talking about now. Just know that later on, there was more to try and bolster whatever it is was happening. Ufologists Linda Moulton Howe and Stanton T. Friedman believed the MJ-12 documents to be authentic. Friedman examined the documents and argued that the United States government has, cons has conspired to cover up knowledge of crashed extraterrestrial spacecraft. According to journalist Howard Blum, the name Majestic 12 had been prefigured in the, U, uh, the UFO community when Bill Moore asked National Enquirer reporter Bob Pratt in 1982 to collaborate on a novel called Magic 12. M-A-G-I-K dash 12. The Majestic 12. <laughs> He's just like, I'm just going to tweak the name ever so slightly. No one will ever figure yeah. it out. Because of this, Blum writes, Pratt had always been inclined to think the Majestic 12 documents are a hoax. Um, Scientific skeptic author Brian Dunning investigated the history of the subject and reported his findings in the 2016 Skeptoid podcast episode, quote, The Secret History of the Majestic 12. Great. Yeah, podcast, he cited honestly. ufologist Bill Moore's suspicion that rather than a hoax perpetrated by the UFO community, the papers were actually part of a disinformation campaign of the U.S. government meant to deflect attention from secret yeah. Air Force projects. And again, interesting. Now that's going to even more fuel the fire of conspiracy. That's like the Descartes version of like conspiracy <laughs> yeah 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 like maybe the conspiracy is in itself a conspiracy maybe the fake conspiracy is all part of the, the conspiracy this all feels like it's building to the end of Watchmen. <laughs> yeah like the, TV exactly. show the movie i've seen both <laughs> i mean the comic book oh, i've read it i've read the book yeah I've the, read comic the comic book, book too <laughs> i'm in it i've seen i've done all of it for the most part the end is roughly the same <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean so it, like it's building to that kind of thing which by the way if they were going to do some alien things, why wouldn't they do that? Where it's like, we're going to do some messed up stuff to unite everyone. The endings are not roughly the same. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Uh, so you uh, see, Jesse, you're talking about something. You are talking about something that already exists. It is called Project Blue Light. 
which is the grand conspiracy that the U.S. is going to stage an alien either attack or landing and use that like as a, a false way flag alien landing. A hundred percent. Yes. Project Blue Light. However, that theory comes from a known conspiracy theorist and it should not be believed. Well, of course. Yeah. No, no. I believe I believe that's all his bullshit. Name is Elon Musk. I believe that's nonsense, by the way. Elon Musk must bedside. Dude had a gun, literal, no, dude. literal Deus Ex gun, and I just want you to know, I'm as a Deus Ex fan, that motherfucker's a giant ass loser. All right, anyway, that's a, pre- that's a pre-order bonus or some <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah, I'm like, like, no, like as a yeah, fan of that right, game, I, I look at you with disgust. But no, I like if you were gonna do this, what would your grand like? What's the grand plan at the end? Right, like if you. What is the point? Like if you, the, the idea that the idea that you could unify all of humanity under some you would idea not. or or predict any sort of outcome. The only thing I can think of is like some sort of military. Basically, what we're saying already, and and what we're using these alien attacks for already, or alien attacks sightings for already. Is there is like, literally thirty percent of this country who, if an alien showed up, would be like, "Damn!" And that yeah, was, yes, and yes. like. Nothing would be united. Nothing would be. It would be terrible. It's already out there. Like that conversation has already been happening for years. Yeah. In those who are are now like UFOs, are like you can't trust if they're aliens, they're demons. Okay, don't trust them. That would be awful. <laughs> Let's give you boys who the members of the MJ12 were. First up was Lloyd Berkner, who was an American physicist and engineer. Michael Jackson. Michael Jordan. These are all real people. They all Magic existed. Johnson. These are not fake people. Detlev Bronk, who was a prominent American scientist, educator, and administrator, is is credited with establishing biophysics as a recognized discipline. He also has the coolest name in science. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Then there's Vannevar Bush, uh, who was an American engineer, inventor, and science administrator who, during World War II, headed the U.S. Office of Scientific Research and Development, through which almost all wartime military R&D was carried out, including development uh, including important developments in radar and the initiation and early administration of the Manhattan Project. Then there is James Forrestal, who was the last cabinet level United States Secretary of the Navy and the first United States Secretary of Defense. Uh, Gordon Gray, who was a politician. Uh, he was in the American. He was an American attorney and government official during the administration of Truman and Eisenhower associated with defense and national security. Roscoe Hillencotter who was the third director of the post-World War II U.S. Central Intelligence Group and uh, the third director of Central Intelligence and the first director of the Central Intelligence Agency created by the National Security Act. Wow. This guy was very, very involved in... uh, in, Yeah, um, this guy knew some stuff. This guy had the secrets. Definitely was involved in MKUltra. Jerome Clark Hunsaker... Hunsaker. Yeah. H-U-N-S-A-K-E. That's what Mulan is. Uh-huh. Yeah. He was an American naval officer, an aeronautical engineer, uh, and educated at the U.S. Naval Academy and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. His work with Gustav Eiffel outside of Paris led to the first wind tunnel in the U.S. This is the wind tunnel, man? Yes, he's part of MJ-12. Amazing. Donald Howard Menzel was the one of the first theoretical astronomers and astrophysicists in the United States. He discovered the physical properties of the solar chromosphere. The, chemi- uh, the chemistry of stars. I didn't even know there was a chromosphere. Me either, you no. know, until I did this episode. Uh, the atmosphere of Mars and the, na- and the nature of gaseous nebulae. Then there's Robert Miller Montag, 
who was a lieutenant general in the army. He achieved prominence as the deputy commander of Fort Bliss, Texas, and commander of the Sandia Missile Base in New Mexico during the start of modern-day ufology and head of the U.S. Caribbean Command. Then there's Sidney Sowers, who was an American admiral and intelligence Comical expert. Character. I know. Uh, Rear Admiral Sowers was appointed as the first director of Central Intelligence on January 23rd, 1946 by Truman, where he would be in charge of the CIG. Uh, so another, you know, Central Intelligence guy. Right. And none other than Nathan F. Twining. Uh, well, he was, we've already talked about him a little bit from Monroe, Wisconsin. He was the He's Air Force General. Maven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was the third chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He was a Joint Chief of Staff. Like, yeah. this, like these are big. I know. In the government people, these are huge people. If there's a secret government cabal of people, it would be these, like, people like this at least. Which, by the way, which, by the way, just like when, when you see a crazy person talk about, like, the deep state and the secret cabals, and, like, you don't need to go that deep to find, like, they're doing it out in the open. They got like groups yes. of the top people in the world together all the time. It's not like secret stuff like they're plotting. It doesn't like, need maybe, to be secret for it to be yeah. like smart, world-shaking people working together all the time. All the but, time, yeah. Yes, correct. <laughs> How come mine says that there's also Henry Jones Jr. in the Majestic Cult? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, uh, he was named after the dog. So You named right. the dog, Indiana? Henry! <laughs> I, I, I don't even remember. That was just all the lines from that movie in one line. I have seen that movie. I love that you movie. Have. Love it. Patreon.com slash pod. A little bit about his career, just to tell you and how impressive of a guy this uh, Twining was. Um, he was, uh, like I said, he was the third member, uh, the third chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He was the first member of the Air Force to serve as chairman. Twining was uh, a distinguished, quote unquote, Mustang officer rising from private to four-star general and appointed wow. to the highest post in the United States Armed Forces in the course of his 45-year career. Let me just like real quick, just for like everyone out there, going from private to four-star general is, I don't even want to say relatively hard. It's almost close to impossible. Yeah, I, it's crazy. Like that is distinguished. Talking to like the my friends who were who are he was a marine is like you become an officer by going to school and going to college and then joining as an officer you don't join as a private right no that's non-commissioned like this is the crazy stuff yeah going private to four-star general that's that's work yeah that's he was crazy he was he was good at what he did and i will say if you look up his picture dude looks like like johnny military man he looks exactly like you would imagine yeah a G-man. The final, the final member of the Majestic 12 was Hoyt Vandenberg. He served as the second chief of staff of the Air Force and the second director of Central Intelligence. During World War II, Vandenberg was the commanding general of the 9th Air Force, a tactical air force in England and in France, supporting the Army from August 1944 until VE Day. Vandenberg's Space Force base on the central coast of California is named after him. Um, so there's your Majestic 12. Those wow. are your Majestic 12 sitting around a table. The original secretly team. talking about. Did you guys see House of the Dragon putting down their marble circle and no. uh, talking <laughs> secretly? I, I didn't, but I did see Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So I get it. I get what yeah, the deal uh, the, is. The, the Roughly the same. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Same thing. If you don't, you didn't know this was Majestic 12, but you thought you've known the name Majestic 12 before. There's like a movie out there. Majestic 12 is in Deus Ex as a as a organization. Um, it's a team of American superheroes from Zatch, the Zatch Bell anime, Hell which I yeah. had no idea. Zatch and Bell. He's also he's also in Super Space Invaders 91. 
The arcade game was called Majestic 12, The Space Invaders Part 4. That was the arcade name. So, what? you know, it got taken and run with the yeah, little. Hold on. <laughs> you got to look it up. Arcade, <laughs> the arcade game? game? You damn well know I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is so funny. So, the, the Majestic 12 game by Taito is literally just a, you know. It's Super Space Invaders 91. That's the sickest fucking poster ever. Yeah. <laughs> Kennedy would be mortified, it says. Dude, hell yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Majestic 12 been around a little bit. Now, what does the Majestic 12 have to do with Eisenhower and all this stuff? Well, that's when we start moving into further conspiracy. The theory or the story goes or whoever you if you believe this is true. What ended up happening is after Truman's time in office came to a close, he hadn't finished going through the paperwork and trying to you know, the Majestic 12 and like this big basically this big pile of top secret papers was then handed off to Eisenhower. Sure. Where he then became in charge of the Majestic 12, and they're in the next steps of uh, the UFO conspiracy kind of take root. And keep in mind, mm-hmm. like, while Truman had a lot to say about government and things, Eisenhower literally was Johnny, beware the military industrial complex. Like, yes, that was yes. his, vi- that and was he his was, big thing. And he was the big military hero, and he's like, watch out for these people. So, like, you know, this is who has it now. Yep, correct. So, in 1953, President Harry Truman gave up the Oval Office and passed the reins of power to his successor, President Eisenhower. It appeared that Truman also gave Ike a pretty hefty file concerning a top secret project called Majestic 12 that Truman established by a classified executive order, as we talked about a little earlier. Majestic 12 consisted of a group of scientists, military personnel, and government professionals who all worked together to understand and communicate with UFOs and extraterrestrials. President Eisenhower was extremely interested in UFOs and ETs. There's evidence that he apparently, uh, the, the evidence is, and I say evidence with heavy air quotes that you can't see, is that he met with extraterrestrials no less than three times. Once at Edwards Air Force Base in California, and Just twice. Coffee and, and pastries. He, Me and yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, where he met them supposedly uh, was once at the Edwards Air Force Base in California and twice at Holloman AFB in New Mexico. And since the Eisenhower meetings, other instances of UFO landings, uh, UFOs landing at or near Holloman AFB have ab- apparently been reported. Um, so where does this all stem from? Well, Dwight D. Eisenhower made a mysterious little trip 50 years, uh, a little over, a lot over rather 50 years ago at this point on February 20th, 1954. President Dwight Eisenhower interrupted his vacation in Palm Springs, California, to make a secret nocturnal trip to a nearby Air Force base to to supposedly meet two extraterrestrials. Or maybe not. In midair? Maybe Ike just went. (laughs) Or maybe you buy the cover story, the cover story purported by the government, that he actually just went for a quick dentist visit. That's what it was. There's there's some obviously dispute about that. You might be like, well, why? Why do you have to go to the dentist? Because apparently... He chipped his tooth on a chicken wing. That is the reason he apparently made this midnight trip to back to an Air Force base. I'll tell you this with a president in his what late 70s right now. Like, yes, he he be going to the doctor all the goddamn time. So supposedly the theory is that President Eisenhower then met on that first trip, uh, met with ATs. This theory comes from a man by the name of Michael Sala. 
a former American university professor who now runs the Peace Ambassador Program at AU Center for Global Peace. Uh, I'm not sure if he's still there now. That information is a few years out of date. I'm not entirely sure if he's still doing that. Um, the, uh, the president theory, the, the theory that the president went to the dentist is advanced by the folks at the Dwight D. Eisenhower Library in Abilene, Kansas, and by James N. Mixon, a dentist, professor of dentistry, and historian of presidential dental work. Boy, we're about to learn about some of the most boring fucking shit that the government does ever. What an, what an expertise to have, honestly. How do you decide that? <laughs> I mean, good fucking question. Um, to, on the night in question, this is makes things, and this even muddies it even further, Jesse. You're going to be like, of course. Yeah. On the night in question, the Associated Press put out a report that President Eisenhower died that night of a heart attack in Palm Springs. What? Yes. <laughs> Only minutes later, they retracted that bulletin and then reported that he was alive and well. Nobody knows why. They say it was like a mess Just up. Just like a miscommunication? I don't know how you that up. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the reason why. I'm sure they're like, their excuses is just like, a, it was like a fuck up. It was like maybe a joke. But again, we don't know. Much like the UFO, much like the fucking UFO symbol on the goddamn fucking government website. Anyway, what we do know is that Eisenhower was on a golf vacation in Palm Springs and on February 20th, 1954. After dinner that night, he made an unscheduled departure from the Smoking Tree Ranch where he was staying. And the next morning, he attended a church service in Los Angeles. Also that morning, his spokesman announced to the press that uh, President Eisenhower had visited a dentist the previous night because he chipped a tooth while eating a chicken wing at dinner. Sala, the man who, again, this theory comes from, was a PA, uh, has a PhD in, gov in government from the University of Queensland in his native Australia. He doesn't believe this. He says the dentist trip is nothing more than a cover story. He believes that President Eisenhower went to Edwards Air Force Base where he met with two ETs with white hair pale blue eyes and colorless lips Does that sound familiar boys do you know your aliens that's uh indrid cold no it's the nordics <laughs> <laughs> that's the nordics boys is uh, the white savior aliens that we're all so familiar the white with at this point <laughs> the blonde haired tall nordics that they come know. basically these aliens nicknamed nordics in ufo circles because they resemble scandinavian humans traveled to Edwards from another solar system in a flying saucer, and Sala says they spoke to Eisenhower. He says, quote, there was telepathic communication. Uh, <laughs> this is, I, just, I don't know how he knows that, but he says, quote, it's as though you're hearing a person, but they're not speaking. The Nordics offered this particular deal to Eisenhower. The Nordics offered to share their superior technology and their spiritual wisdom if President Eisenhower would agree spiritual to eliminate... Wisdom. <laughs> to eliminate America's nuclear weapons. That was what the Nordics offered. Eisenhower <laughs> was like, get the hell out of here, you commies. That's exactly what he did. Well, I mean, <laughs> honestly, he basically was like, fuck off. I, when you said no. that, the first thing that came to my mind is, you know, out of all the aliens that they could have said approached us, the ones they pick yeah. are like, okay, so we're like dealing with this whole communist crap and we have to watch out. And the people that show up are like, Scandinavian looking dudes, white as shit, who are like, yes, if you just get rid of your nukes, we will talk. <laughs> I bet they were like, look at these. They sent over this. Russia sent over some What plants. are we going to eat them? It's the fucking Agent <laughs> Smith speech. <laughs> yeah, like, you, you have to believe that if this is a real scenario that happened, 
they 100% thought these were spies. There's like, I, that's yeah. why I don't think this or happened at, least at all. They were really trying to make sure that they fucking weren't. <laughs> yeah. I don't like, that's why this definitely didn't happen. There's, there's no way. <laughs> well, that obviously, uh, he declined that offer, uh, because he didn't want to give up nukes. Uh, so, but, but again, 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 time out. The going balls. back to that skepticism. In the reality of the story, what kind of balls are those? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like going back to the skepticism article that I talked about, the fact that money and time and energy is being devoted to nukes. If aliens came and said, we will give you alien tech. If it gave us a one up over the Russians, we would have taken it in a heartbeat. But the, the Nordics were not offering weapons or anything. Granted, we would have tried to find a wet way to weaponize sure. it. I'm sure. But like, I don't think that's what they were trying to offer. Again, they were also offering their spiritual wisdom whatever that entails, whatever that means. Maybe they'll like uplift our consciousness. I don't fucking know. I just can't imagine the president being like, oh, spiritual awakening, eh? Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, well, he said no. Um, again, sometime later in 1954, on the other Air Force base, President Eisenhower did actually make a deal with a different race of extraterrestrials. Known only as then, and we know them so well now, the Greys. The Baby Yodas. The Baby Yodas. No, man, the Greys, all right, is the Greys. The contract was pretty simple. Allow them to catch, capture Earth cattle and humans for medical experiments, provided that they return the humans safely home. And, uh, since, and since that time, the Greys have kidnapped millions of people. And in return, they would share technology with us. The only way that I could see the president agreeing to that is... If the Greys took him into a room and they were like, here is the gun that could destroy the earth in one second. You will do whatever we say. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. that's not yeah. a deal that somebody with equal power to the other one makes. You will, We will come well, and we will study you. And if you don't misbehave, we won't kill you. I, I mean, that's like, you would think that's how they would be because they have the potential to murder yeah. us. But I don't know, man. It, again, doesn't make sense. So it's a hard bargain for the people offering spiritual enlightenment. You have to understand that Sala, the, the person who pushes us forward, is a true believer in the majestic 12. Sala? Which is why Indiana this, Jones? Indiana, Sala? Jo Indiana Jones' wheelman? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Bad date. Uh, um, so this really, it, it was like the, the MJ-12 and all the stuff that he learned about that kind of pushed him in this direction. And honestly, like I said, it's a muddy walk from actual facts that lead us to something crazy like this. He would go on to author a book called The Hero's Journey Toward a Second American Century. Uh, and then uh, as early uh, earlier in, our, in 2004, publish his second book, Exopolitics, Political Implications of the Extraterrestrial Presence. And let me just show you this man's website and what <laughs> we I go. had to navigate. And GeoCities coming in. Exopolitics.org. Oh, yeah. It's in Zoom if you want to check it out. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> Anything that's got like yes, sir. cut out pencil sketches with colored pencil art over them. <laughs> you can see him in the bottom right, his Exopolitics Today podcast with a picture of him uncensored. I need you to know. Nordic ET supply mission to Ganymede and Europa's second underground city episode. To everyone listening right now, this this show or uh, this website, this website has the exact same vibe as your grandparents' basement. <laughs> It has, a, it has, it looks like the crankies, honestly. <laughs> There's just like so much stuff placed wherever. I'm sure he knows where it's at. Wherever it, there's no organization. <laughs> Good luck. I want you all to go in and like try to There's use like this like as a, a Chinese resource. xenophobia movie. 
There's the Pope saying what's up to like a CG gray with like a skin bodysuit. This is like alternate dimension lonely me who never met anyone and ended up just going in this direction. There's like a space team with like a dude, like a superhero and like I think Moon Knight's on the team. <laughs> I think his eyebrows are what my eyebrows will eventually become with age. Like I already got very bushy eyebrows. So I need you to know we need to watch like some of this. I feel like. Yeah, no, true. I did. Now I, on I Vimeo, did. the coming alien false flag psyop and it just has like the Pope in a gray like hanging out. I'm telling you, dude, <laughs> I think I might poke my eyeballs out before I finish watching this. Oh, my God. They have the rise of the red dragon. Then you've got Enki's return, a Damic DNA, the tree of life and awakening giants presented by Dr. Michael Sala. <laughs> Secret diplomatic uh -huh, mission you know? to underwater cities in the Atlantic Ocean. Here's, oh, here's his newest book. Galactic Federation's Council and Secret Space Programs. Does that sound something like we covered recently? Book seven I, of the Secret Space Program series. <laughs> I just I just want to I just want to point out the, the cover of this book out of all the possible aliens and extraterrestrials. He picked like the whitest aliens you could find. Yeah, you got a Nordic, a Nordic, another Nordic. He was like, I think that's a tall white. Thankfully, there's a group of white aliens out there to save us. It's crazy racist. Dude, and he, the latest webinar on Vimeo is time travel, temporal warfare, and our future. Oh, and Suzanne Summers is in there next to that blue guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there she is. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, there's so much. Like, you've also got on Vimeo Hall of Halls of Records, Portals, the Inner Earth, and our ET Heritage. This, this is all in. This is, this is, this is dude's banana, this banana sandwiches, and it's great. Well, this does, the, if anything, this website and this guy, uh, show very clearly the gateway that this kind of thing can lead to conspiracy things then it can lead to like down the path of some pretty awful stuff right like even yeah. though yeah, this yes, guy's about yes. aliens this is there is a lot of like he's he's got anti-chinese stuff in shit. here and he's got like oh when the white aliens come to say like it takes you down that path, and then soon you're yes. on the internet being like, I, I don't understand exactly. why like, all of the, like, and you're just like, whoa, my dude. I, I, I genuinely hope at the end of this episode, listeners, you can walk away and see, ideally, if, if like, kind of whittled down to its basics, the path, how easy it is to just start somewhere where there's actual physical evidence of something, like a memo, something as simple as that, and how quickly... You travel down you the road of big crazy Dianetics energy because just yeah. because this guy, this guy who's got a lot of credential, Friedman, thinks that the Majestic 12 are real. Like, you know, and it doesn't matter. We're going to get to to the we're getting to the end here. So don't worry. Um, we're almost done. Um, but I want to finish up Sala real quick because I want you to understand how we came to these conclusions. You might be wondering where the fuck he got this information, why he knows about the aliens. So for much of the 90s, Sala says that he studied conflict resolution and tried unsuccessfully to apply that knowledge to prevent war in East Timor in the Balkans. <laughs> That's that was apparently what he was trying to do in the 90s. That's his big priority. Yeah, that was his major priority in the 90s. But he got frustrated because okay, well, he was God not awesome. succeeding. So we began. So the next logical step was to start looking for extraterrestrial connection to human misery. And he says he found evidence of ET visitations including the encounter with Eisenhower. You might ask, well, where did he find this information? Where else did he find it, boys? But the internet. I have so many. So he is obsessed with linking extraterrestrials to human misery? Yes. Uh, this is uh -huh. 
to an extent, the exact same thing as when my dad and I went to Machu Picchu and we were in Peru and we went and saw a giant fort and there were these massive stone blocks and he, to the dude who lived in the area, was like, so do you think aliens helped move this? And it's that kind <laughs> of insane disconnect. I love you, dad. I think you're the best. But I was so like, dude, what? Because... To think that yeah. humans couldn't <laughs> do that, or in this case, humans couldn't be responsible for their own misery is some like next level humanity deflection bullshit. Like we are just like, well, clearly that's like, <laughs> yeah, Cormac McCarthy shit. That's yeah. it's like clearly uh, they didn't ha- like have slaves move this thing, dad. Like, no, no, it must have been aliens because we would never. It's that kind of thought process where you're just like, what yeah. is going on? This you to keep in mind, this man's credentials is they're barely, barely better than yours, Jesse. He's just a professor at a college. What did he teach? <laughs> professor of what? he did. Uh, so the, the School of International Service at American University. Uh, he founded the university's Peace Ambassador Program. Uh, let me go back up to see what he was teaching. I cannot remember what I said earlier. It's long gone. I'm, I'm already on his I'm already on his profile. I'm trying to oh, figure you're already it out. On his, well, yeah, his website is is like I have it actually like written somewhere else. Um, but yeah, he's like, it, it's like, it doesn't make it. I just, I can't, he frustrates me because these are the people that fuck up the actual research that, you know, we want to do. And like, it just, it makes it so much harder because you, people like these guys are out there making a joke out of it. Even if he doesn't think he's making a joke out of it, he is. Did I get rid of that page? No, 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 I didn't. Uh, it's just, it's, I honestly cannot find what he has his uh, degree P, in. Uh, his name uh let me see if i can find the nacho potato chips uh it says that he was a non-official peacemaking person in east timor the stuff you said he's a lecturer at the uh oh politics it was he was a political he learned he was a political scientist no i know that's a job what it was but what was his degree in? (laughs) (laughs) like i what did he do uh i said it earlier i can't remember i i cheese making yeah, yeah, yeah let's see if i can find it uh right it says professor he did i'm just curious like if if you're gonna be like he's got more credentials than you i want to make sure because i have a lot of degrees oh, i agree and i really want to fight this man that's true maybe he's got <laughs> higher maybe he has fake degrees i don't think it's fake i just want to know what his degrees is I'm, I'm on his wiki but i'm not seeing any degrees just what his job was <laughs> no i mean the reason why i said this is is I have a lot of degrees. They're in nothing yeah. that I currently do. Right. Like that. So I'm curious if his degree is right, in right, right. one thing. And now he does this other thing, you know, and if it relates at all, that kind of thing. I'm very curious what the vibe is with this guy. Cause it, yeah, I'm looking at it. All it says for his educated, it says he was educated at university of Melbourne. That's all I, that's all I know. I mean, that is a university. So like I got, you know, doesn't even say he graduated, but he got to be a professor. So I mean, yeah, I mean he clears his PhD. Bucks. I'm just curious what it's in. Right, like because it's all this politics yeah, yeah. stuff, and then now he's doing aliens, which I think is very right. funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you. So it was actually asked of him, like, okay, you got it on the internet. Like, what? How did you go about researching it? His answer is hilarious. Quote: "There's a lot of stuff on the internet. I just went around and pieced it together. I have my reasons." <laughs> um, that, that's how we piece together this fucking theory that Eisenhower met with aliens, and think about how popular this theory has become that is the exact same mentality as when someone tells you an insane conspiracy theory and you say what is your evidence they're like do the research i did mine 
They're like, what? Just read, just read. Yes. And you're like, what research? According to this article, it says that's not true. And they're like, well, that's the fake news. And you're like, oh my God, I'm never going to, I'll never win this conversation. Yeah. (laughs) Correct. Like I said, in 03, he created that peace ambassador program. uh, And it was on the AU website as quote, summer program that combined study, meditative practices and prayer ceremonies at selected Washington, D.C. sites aimed at promoting individual self-empowerment and divine governance in Washington, D.C. So that was what he was. That's that's always been what he's up to. Uh, Mm, So is this so is this like a coded religious stuff then? Really? This seemed like. Like, yes oh yes 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 that's not that hard to figure when you out say like divine pro- like all this is like the aliens are going to bring us jesus is that what this kind of thing is spiritual knowledge dude sala of course went on to stress that his et research is not connected with his work at au center for global peace the folks at the Glo- center global uh center for global peace are also very 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 excited to put a foot down on him quote the research that Michael Sala is doing is not research that he is conducting on behalf of the center or in collaboration with the center this is his own personal research like not not attached not attached yikes (laughs) obviously when other people asked about do you think he met with aliens most people end uh with no and i just want to go to the last bit perhaps leave you with a little question of the actual legitimacy of the majestic 12 documents and why people are so unwilling to let go that these still may be real first it's important to note that on each of the pieces of paper of the Majestic 12 document, some of them are actually marked with a presidential seal. Others are not. The presidential seal that was used was not the one that was used during Eisenhower. And uh, on top of that, the formatting of the letter uh, and the way it was presented was not how that particular branch of government sent letters. So it just doesn't match any of the known uh, actual quantitative evidence that it would become that it would come right. from the government we're going back to friedman for this because he is really the crux that keeps i think mj12 a legitimate argument for some people friedman was obviously outspoken as an articulation uh was outspoken in his articulation of positions and his criticisms of ufo debunkers often stating that he was not an apologist ufologist his positions are regarded as controversial in mainstream science and media but friedman claimed to have received little opposition opposition at his many lectures most of which were at colleges and universities, many to engineering societies and other groups of physics, uh, physicists. He had a number of debates in the mainstream media. Like I said, you can go listen to him anytime you want, including one with UFO skeptic Michael Shermer on CNN. Friedman was criticized by both skeptics and other Roswell researchers for taking the position that there was there are no substantive grounds for dismissing the authenticity of some Majestic 12 documents. Friedman himself was the first to provide evidence that some of the documents were clearly hoaxes. For example, he showed that a supposed memo from Admiral Roscoe Hillencotter to President Truman dated February 17th, 1948, was actually the emulation of a letter from Marshall to Roosevelt that was featured in the book The American Magic. Um, so he disproved his own, he, he, he disproved himself, but continued to believe. Why would some of it be real and some of it be fake? That seems crazy. Well, that's another belief is that some of the pages may be hoaxes to make the mm. rest of it look fake <sighs> and not yeah. real. And then to throw away, like, there's always reason, right? That you can always find a reason and fill in the unknowns. 
Friedman researched the MJ-12 document since first becoming aware of them from William Moore and Jamie Shandera way back in 84. He addressed criticisms of the original documents in both sources. As an example, Philip J. Class claimed lexic lexicographic inconsistencies, basically the typeface, based on the use of Pika typeface in the Cutler Twining memo and offered $100 in a challenge to Friedman for each legitimate example of the use of the same style and same size Pika, uh, Pika type uh, as used in the memo. He's basically saying the font would never be, show me evidence that this font is used elsewhere other than this one very specific place. It's, yeah, it just it should doesn't not make be sense. used in the yeah. MJ-12 document. Friedman provided 14 examples and was paid $1,000 by class. So he, class was wrong. The, 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 there are things out there that other documents and so on that have that font. So it leaves the MJ, like the MJ-12 documents is that transition. Either you believe them or you don't kind of thing. Very crazy conspiracy theory. You either believe it or you don't. And if you like, it can lead you to the gateway drug, many different ends. Like you can believe the MJ-12 documents are real and still think that, you know, you need to see proof and all the things like we are. But then you go to the other side of things where you can believe the MJ documents are real. And then you go into crazy banana religious town and you start going into Eisenhower meeting with aliens and making contracts with the with the grays. I love all that stuff, man. I want it to be true. It's crazy that MJ 12 docs are the gateway to aliens and MJ Mary Jane is the gateway to drugs. You know what I mean? It's certainly the it's certainly the gateway to like the 12 alien theory and like the very racist conspiracy theories that exist. And I think the MJ-12 document is one of, I think it would have happened anyway, but the MJ-12 document helps lend it a little credibility with what it purports to be true. Um, it's, it's frustrating, again, as somebody who's on the other side of this and really loves to research it, but it's important you know, going forward as we go do more aliens as time right. goes on, that this gets laid down. You need to know this MJ-12 stuff. You need to know the, the crazy conspiracies. So then when we reference this or we talk, tackle aliens that sound crazy, like the 12 alien ra uh, races theory, you understand to keep your eyes and ears open and don't fall into the easy trap of just believing things at face value and piecing things together on the internet by yourself and calling it research. That's just not how it works. You Do you think it's weird that they, they're called the Majestic 12 and there just happens to be 12 alien races? Like, like, do you think you that's are, strange? You, I brought that up on purpose. Like, like, yes, I think that is a big reason for it. it there's, it's fascinating, but I am, I am much more of a, you know, it's, I'm not a Friedman, I'm a Hynek. Like, I love Alan Hynek's, like his books, the way he approached things, the scientific way he looked at things. And is, is uh, even to end of, at the end of his life, being like, I don't think they're like all coming. They're not physical aliens. Like, I think this is all could be very different things happening. And we need to like look at it scientifically. And that's, you know, but now you can see why the ufology field is laughed at so much, where a lot of the crazy excuses come from and why it is so easy to just speed run into the problematic conspiracy theories. And on that, boys, the Majestic 12, Eisenhower and aliens in a, as a whole comes to a two-hour close. Interesting, I'm, interesting I, I episode, hope, I dude. I hope that made sense. I hope I was able to organize that in a way that you could follow. I loved it, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not trying to change your opinion, Jesse, on how aliens are, but I do hope learning about Hynek and learning about Friedman and the way certain things were handled just give you a bit more context as to how these projects were managed. 
we're going to go do a mini-sode on Chaluminati uh, Patreon. Thank you guys so much for listening. We love you. I appreciate you. Uh, this mini-sode has more UFOs, apparently, as Alex brought UFOs without us even talking about what this episode was going to be. UFO movies. Patreon.com slash Chaluminati Podcast. Uh, yeah, and if you want the MJTL 12 documents, just Google it. They're out there for you to just download as a PDF. It's totally easy to get your hands on. We love you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.